Hey guys, since we're talking about lizard folk today, I've got a question for you. What is the greatest advantage of being cold-blooded? In my opinion, it's being immune to the predator's heat vision. Alright, so do we want to grab our dice on this one and roll? Yeah. You want to roll inside the damn thing? I guess so. Got a 17. I got a 6. What is the greatest advantage of being cold-blooded? Great naps. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. I I am a traditionally incredibly light sleeper, so... If I if I drop the temperature in a room and that knocks me out, yeah, man, I'm I'm down. Yeah. Okay. Honestly, I don't see a whole lot of benefit of being a cold blooded creature. I mean, you're you're cold hearted enough as it is. Hey, I am the warmest person on this podcast. I am everyone's best friend and nobody's enemy. I don't understand how you can sit there with that much bullshit coming out of your mouth. <laughs> it's a mimic. The Roundtable Dungeons & Dragons Discussion Podcast, where you never know what you're going to get. Welcome to another episode in our conversation on mob mentalities, where we look at some of the cold-blooded humanoids, like the one across the table from me, out there Hello. that can make up the enemy armies in Dungeons & Dragons. I'm Dan, and with me today is Adam. And this episode is called Lizard Folk Tribes, Diagnosed with Herpetology. It's a, that's a VD joke dan yeah but it's also herpetology which is the study of lizards reptiles specifically yeah um so we've reached out to our army of friends and allies to help us break down what a lizard folk tribe looks like in fifth edition first though let's jump into the basics lizard folk um are one of those i mean we're finally in one of the ones that doesn't have a uh callback episode where we kind of graze the subject so we get to yeah, do... A, we, well, we're in totally new territory. We're in yeah. new territory. We get to do a bit of a deep dive. And to be completely honest, Adam, um, they are a glaring omission from 90% of my games. I fucking love lizard folk. And if you know, uh, I'm sure you've noticed, I include them all of the time in my games. All over the place. And yeah. like a variety of different types of yeah. lizard folk as well. Which in in the book as it is with stock D&D there's not a whole hell of a lot of variance when it comes to lizard folk truth but um there's such a broad spectrum to be able to pull from that you could really flavor them however the hell you want um before we go any further it's big on reddit right now do lizard folk women have boobs <laughs> oh god i hate i hate what they're, they're, i think they're calling it like titty gate or something like that yeah but uh Let's tip the scales on this right now. Sorry, let's tip the scales on this right now. I will tell you right now, it is damn difficult to sex my geckos. Uh, and uh, figuring out the gender, the, the actual sex of a... Well, you gotta freaking, like identify the cloaca or something like that, right? You have to look to see if they have... Once they're old enough, some of them will maybe have a certain kind of lumps between their back legs. And those ones might be female. It's not, a, and depends depending on how well they're fed. It is hard to tell. I think that for lizard folk, nah, no man, I, I wouldn't even say broader hips for egg laying. I would just there you go. That's my answer from the from the cold open. You can lay eggs. The only the only notable difference that they bring out in the lore for lizard folk is the fact that the females lay eggs. But there's a lot of analog to not just lizard folk like lizard reptilian people but also amphibian is kind of mixed in there a little bit there's a little bit of amphibian mixed into the mix so i mean you get more of the amphibian when we start looking at you on t and serpent folk but 
Wow. I, like, you are just hard wrong on that. It's all reptilian. Yes, they're amphibious. But that's, that's what I'm trying to no, say. No, no. That Grung are amphibian. I, I was going to get to that. Well, I didn't wait for you to you get to fucking that. fucking asshole. Anyways. <laughs> um, so to, it's going to be one of those episodes, ladies to, and gentlemen. To, buckle up. To, to answer the, the bullshit people spending way too much time at their keyboards on the internet uh, debate... Nah, man. They don't have nipples. They don't have nipples. They don't have titties. Sorry. They, they don't have mammary glands. They don't need them. No. No. So, no. Sorry, but no. As I a, mean, if if you like that stuff, I'm not going to yuck your yum, but not at my D&D table. They don't. Yeah, look, I'm if I if I can be honest, dragons don't, kobolds don't. Kobolds can just change sexes as well, right? Yeah. When they want. I have no problem doing that with with lizard folk to a certain degree as well. Um and I don't, I don't need there to be a big difference between the male and the female. As you're going to get into, they're, they're lizard-brained. Their society is very specific. It is. It is. And yeah. even in the stat blocks, as we'll get into eventually, there is like that one of their leaders is, it, by stat block, the lizard folk king slash queen. Yeah. Like, it does not differ. This is not drow. Yeah. They don't there, give a shit. There is, there... Their view on gender is very specifically fluid. It's I would almost say it's asexual until it's procreating. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, lizard folk are by and large incredibly pragmatic creatures. Yeah. So I I I don't think the the nuances of gender are important to them at all. Do you think they fuck, Dan, or do you think they lay eggs and then fertilize oh, it, them? It's it is there there is no recreation to it. They're not. They're not doing it for the pleasure. It is purely a purpose is being um, made there. It is. It is for procreation and only. It is. They lay eggs. The eggs are then fertilized, and we are moving on now. That, okay. That is what it is with the lizard. Folk. So, so they fertilize outside the body. I would say so. Just like a lizard folk, just just standing there over top of the eggs, going, nobody look. <laughs> standing. It's, it's standing my time. <laughs> I'm thick with seed. <laughs> God damn. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, it's a mimic where you never know what you're going to get. And this week, I really, really am seed. regretting the fact that I'm in a, alone in a room with you and you just yelled you were thick with seed. <laughs> that, that is oh, uh, very, very bad. Anyway, so we're going to break down lizard folk. Obviously, if you haven't been paying attention the past five minutes, um, <laughs> then, then you're lucky. <laughs> if you have manage to avoid that please tell me your secret i would love to know it anyways um so we're going to break down their appearance first and then we're going to move on to their culture um and specifically their mindset and their worship set as we get on um so as for their appearance uh they're not your standard anthropomorphized animal um like your uh leonin gif bullywug um grung right they're not they're not quite like that they are these are not crocodile people or they're, iguana people. They're not or, gecko people, yeah. right? They are their own separate form. They're still lizard people, but there there's no like direct animalistic callback. I think the closest thing you do get is like a crocodile, I guess would be the closest, but they don't have that elongated snout. Well, I mean a Komodo dragon. Yeah, on two legs. I, I'm thinking uh, the mountain horned lizard. Yeah, that could be it too. 
Right, but I mean, these aren't bearded dragons. These aren't salamanders. No, salamanders are their own fucking thing in D anD. d But like all of uh, reptilian kind, these guys are cold blooded and scaled. They, um, however, unlike most of reptilian kind, are two legged humanoids. They stand and they travel on two legs. They're bipeds. They're bipeds. Um, they do have uh, a tail. However, it is non prehensile, which means they can't grab stuff with it. It's there for balance. Um, and they're also for swimming, I would also say. for swimming. Yeah. Like a crocodile in the same respect. Yeah. Their colors range from dark green to brown or gray. There's not a lot of, um, bright reds and yellows and, and stuff in that mix. I mean, maybe in the frills, we see a lot of that in the art, but yeah. beyond that, their actual their scale color. Are, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, they stand six to seven feet tall. They're hard to distinguish between the genders, which we talked about in the cold open. Um, but they do have two distinct genders. They live up to 80 years old, which is on par for humans. Yeah. Which, which I mean, is kind of weird to me, to be honest. I mean, you look at tortoises and stuff. They live forever. Yeah, but so, that's for turtles. Yeah. I'll tell you right now, um, there's a wide range of lifespan for lizards. As someone who owns geckos and has had many other kinds of lizards, yeah. you're talking anywhere from like four years to like a hundred years. Yeah. So I guess they just kind of went with don't think about it. Yeah. Um, contrary to popular belief out there, lizard folk are, are, are omnivorous. They eat everything. Yeah, of course they do. However, they do prefer humanoid flesh. Well, who doesn't? Yeah. Um, what? Oh, for eating? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Um, the other thing that is uh, on out from left field here is the fact that they speak exclusively draconic. Uh-huh. Which... Um, frustrates the fuck out of Adam. Frustrates the fuck out of Adam and really leans to the fact that these guys are at least tied with dragons in some way, shape, or form. Hey, they got scales. They got to be friends, right? You know, that's one of the things that, that frustrates me is that, like, there are some languages that don't make an ounce of sense why they're... Special languages in the in the monster manual. Yeah, we talked in the last episode about like minotaurs getting abyssal. That makes some sense, but like, but I don't get this. I option. think that there should be a reptilian language, like like the parcel tongue from Harry Potter. Yeah, I'm and then Yuan T and dragon folk, and even um, uh, like lizard folk. Anything uh, by dragon folk, of course, I mean dragonborn, kobold, half dragons. They should. Draconic should be a, a dialect of that. Yeah. Right? Um, the one thing that they do show us with the Draconic language that they speak is that uh, their names and their naming convention when it comes to lizard folk is to use Draconic nouns um, as a way to like harken back between a great deed or an aspect of renown for that uh, for that individual. Sure. Right. So um, you see things like Rakash, R- R- which is the draconic for axe, right? Because this guy once killed a dude with an axe. Sure. Right? It's very primitive. It's very primitive. The names don't distinguish between masculine or feminine. That Yep. Right? They are straight up uh, draconic nouns, which I like. Yeah. Because it's really cool to be able to get some straight up one-to-one word translations to draconic yeah we don't get much of that which we don't get a lot of uh and is a really cool as a dm i go well if i want to add a word puzzle in draconic i'm going to look to of all places lizard folk names yeah that's weird to try to figure that out anyways moving on to their culture 
They are territorial and non-nomadic, which means they don't stray from their lands. They set up in areas with access to ample water because they need to stay moist. Um, And this is going to be areas like a lagoon or a grotto or some sunken ruins. They do deal and trade with outside cultures, but extremely rarely. Um, it's got to be a very special set of circumstances and there's got to be some real good conversation either way for them to get there. Um, they will often use hunting bands to harass trespassers to convince them to stay out of their lands or will trick trespassers into the layers of more dangerous creatures like a dragon or a giant crocodile. Sure. Okay. Well, yeah, they're going to see these creatures because they're pragmatic these creatures are part of the environment yeah yeah i was i was going to say um they are the embodiment or personification however whatever word you want to use uh in 5e of uncaring naturalism that is what our lizard folk are they're not evil they are true neutral they they exist uh for survival for uh the procreation of their kind they care not for morality or order evil or chaos they they don't have that bent in any ways they are straight pragmatism they're almost unaligned except they have motivations except they do have some motivations yeah um they will do what it takes to survive and will only kill if there is a need or if it's particularly easy sure okay um they make no distinction to any sort of animal types either um all who enter their territory could be potentially food so to them, a human and a cow, the cow's got more meat on it, but a human will do as well. Sure. Right? Well, and you said that they like humanoid They do flesh. like humanoid flesh, but like they're not going to differentiate between a half elf and a human. They're not going to differentiate between a dwarf and an elf. They're just going to be like, that one's got a little bit more hair and that one's got, you know, ears that I can pick my teeth with after. How humanoid are we talking? Like, will doppelgangers be a delicacy? Oh, yeah. Because they're not really humanoid. Oh, they will. They... It, they do not care. There is no distinction. Okay. I would say they're not going to eat undead. And I'm going to say that they're probably... Like, no, the rotting flesh, they're not going to eat. Some yeah. some aberrations will be funky to them. I, I If they manage it, I could see them having calamari mind flayer dinners, but... I, I was thinking more about um, like Beholder and Otiugs and some of the weirder oh, things. nothing's eating an Otiog, man. Yeah, right. Big shit monster? No thanks. Um, now, if they do make an ally with one of these neighboring communities or, or of one of these groups, they are resolute and trustworthy compatriots. If they choose that you're an ally, they stick to that. It's not a whole lot of deception with these guys. There's, there's none. There's, there is what you no, see is what you, what get. you see is what you get. Is it an honor thing or is it just a, we don't have time for this shit? I, I think it's more just a straight pragmatism. It okay. is. If I tell you, yes, I mean, yes. If I tell you, no, I mean, no. And there is, they're, they're very black and white with that. Yeah. Okay. Um, They will, however, still capture and get slaves and, and well, they're not really slaves. They're more prisoners. Yeah. They, people aren't out free maintaining and doing the manual labor because the lizard folk are just going to do that themselves right around the camp, but they will hold on to people for great feasts or ceremonies to their one God that they worship. There is a net, another one that they do kind of look to. We'll get into that later. Sure. Um, They are also incredibly uh, pragmatic to the point of using every part of the animal when they kill. 
They will eat the flesh. They will use the bone for their tools and the weapons. They will use the sinew for their weapons. They will use every aspect of the creature. Nothing will be left behind except for maybe a stain on the ground. Interesting. Yeah. Um, Now, the one thing about their culture is they both fear and worship magic. The wielders of magic in their communities, the shaman, are the leaders of the tribe, typically. The kings and the, the kings or queens do occur and are blessed with the might of Sesenic, who is the secondary god of theirs, um, that can command tri- the tribes over a shaman, and they will almost always rule through fear, and those kings or queens are almost always inherently evil. Okay. Okay? However, by and large, the leaders of your tribe are going to be the shaman who wield magic, and the lizard folk fall in line behind those who do. Okay. Now, I did say that they had uh, two gods-ish. They have uh, Semwanya, which is uh, their god of uh, survival and um, procreation. It's a male procreation god, which um, is unique, I find. And then there's Sesenek, who is the demon lord. It's a demon lord that we don't have a stat for, of civilization. Okay. Which is weird for lizard folk. Hold on. Shaman. I looked it up. No, that's wrong. I don't give a shit. Shaman. It's shaman. 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 Nope. Shaman. No. Shaman. I fucking refuse. Look, I will tell you this right now. Dave and I say shaman. You and Brad say shaman. Yeah. I actually did a deep dive onto this. And the people who say shaman are about as right as people who say aunt instead of aunt. Drama instead of drama. And so on and so forth. It's It's, dialectal. It's dialectal. So um, when you complain later... Suck it. I almost I almost certainly will. Um, the other thing... You oh, almost certainly will suck it? No, I almost certainly will complain about it. Uh, the other thing about uh, lizard folk is they are tied closely to dragons, which I'm not a huge fan of, but... That's we'll weird and I don't like it. Yeah. Um, basically, they learned their language from dragons long ago, and if a dragon moves into their territory, they are one of those... One of the rare exceptions to the will chase out of their territory rule. In, in fact, lizard folk will, if a dragon moves in, gather tribute and will become subservient to the dragon. Good or evil. Good or because evil. Because they're true neutral. Because right? they're so, true neutral. Yeah. yeah. Now, um, survival is paramount to a tribe of lizard folk and it is the focus on their society. They, And in that respect, they will rarely plan for the future, choosing instead to adapt to whatever happens to maintain survival. This really is evident in things like writing and art and long-term planning. None of this happens in lizard folk society. There is no such thing as art. There is no such thing as complicated writing. They so, don't have time for it. So they don't even have like totems or anything. No, not really. Um, they the the furthest their art goes is the trophies that they wear from unique kills that they've had, right? Which will usually play into the name that they have been given. And this name can change, by the way, depending on circumstances. Sure. You could be axe one day, crocodile the next day, and oak tree the next. Huh. <clears throat> now, with a lot of this hyper-pragmatism comes their frame of mind, which I wanted to zone in on here. They are emotionally stunted or mechanical. They experience life through the lenses of three things. Fear, aggression, and pleasure. The thing is... Um, so they're like Terry then? Uh, not really, because their fear is a very if-then kind of fear. If the creature is scary, 
then it must be avoided. If they are removed, uh, they are basically removed of the physical uh, interpretation of their um, emotions, right? So um, if they are standing in front of a dragon, they're not going to be sitting there shivering and cowering. They acknowledge, okay, that is a powerful thing. Thus, it is scary. I should be scared and thus I will be careful with it. Okay. Right? They don't ever like cower in fear. Okay? Their aggression also doesn't equal anger. Aggression is just the means to an end for a hunt or for combat or something like that. They're not angry. They're just... Vicious. Vicious. Right? It, yeah. If if we've got the blood pumping, it's because it's more effective to do it this way. Yeah. Um, and the same goes with pleasure. Pleasure isn't sexual gratification or uh, things they find particular joy in. A lizard folk finds pleasure in things that make its life easier and enhance its survivability. All right. Okay. Um, to this effect, they don't mourn their fallen or rage at their enemies. They don't have vendettas that they seek to solve right they just what is in front of them as a threat is either a threat it is either it is either a threat a food or an ally do they have long-term ability to say hey you know what these guys came in they wiped us out like they killed like eight of our number and then they stole the thing and they left in three years they may do it again um i yes but it would it is through the recital of that over and over. Like uh, we see a lot with Native American culture with their storytelling. Very little of it is written down. It's mostly in uh, story, right? I would say when it comes to these like constant dangers, um, if there is a trend, a lizard folk tribe is more likely to pick up and move to a different territory than it is to stay and weather the storm every three years. Even though they're super territorial and not nomadic. Yes. They will do what makes the most sense. To survive. Yeah. Exactly. So, so they're territorial for defense purposes, not because there's a specific uh, um, aspect to this land that they're beholden just, this, to. This is the reason. land that we survive best in right now. Okay. Nothing else could come in. Yeah. That's that's basically what it is. Now. So hold on. So if, it, if they serve a dragon and then the dragon ends up. Not being the most powerful there can't protect them. They will just bail out. They're not like kobolds who are yeah, like a cult. Yeah. They'll They're just, just going to bail. Out. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, to the point where like when I mentioned earlier, like they don't mourn their dead. The dead to them just become food. This means that they are cannibalistic. They will eat their dead. And that is often what they do. Right? Because why waste the perfectly good body? Why waste perfectly good meat? Right? Sure. Um, but they can- That's actually my pickup line. It's not perfectly good, Adam. Oh, it is. Anyways, perfect. Friends, good. Uh, so they can learn to respect other creatures' emotions, however, but uh, they never come to translating it to them in an own way. Like they will be, I understand that you are sad, and I understand that it's something you are going through. They won't feel it themselves, but they, when it comes to their allies and stuff, that is their uh, approach to it. Um, they judge all of their companions and allies and everything else through utility. If someone has no discernible benefit to a lizard folk, the lizard folk is going to mostly decide they should just be food. Okay. At best ignored at worst food. Yeah, pretty much. Um, we can look at the, um, certain level of quirks they have as, uh, lizard folk options as well. Um, certain lizard folk personality quirks that they, you, you see in the books here, um, 
which is a D8 table that you could roll on, says things like, you hate waste and see no no reason not to scavenge the fallen enemies, and fingers are tasty and portable. Uh, This is out of Volos. Yeah, this is all out of Volos, yeah. Um, If you roll a five, you have learned to laugh. You use this talent to, uh, in response to all emotional situations, to better fit in with your comrades. All emotional situations. All emotional situations you laugh, because I've learned this talent. Yeah. Yeah. So these guys can be pretty comedic from a from like a data from from TNG. Um, yes, but they could also be horrifying at the same time. Like, oh, I think so. They're you enjoy between... eating your food while it's still wriggling. Well, I mean, who doesn't? Me. That's a damn lie. I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna give you a last, at least one example. Well, here, here, no, no, okay. I'll, I'll do this real quick. You appreciate soft humanoids who realize they need chainmail and swords. To match the gifts you were born with. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. These are a good place to start. I wouldn't rely on this for my whole personality. No, this this is to start a campaign. Of course, have character growth and depth as you go. Um, now, I do want to dive into their worship. As I said, they do worship their gods. They worship their... Um, they worship magic and they fear magic. Um, I want to look specifically into Semwana right now who is uh, the lizard folk deity of survival and propagation. His symbol is a lizard's egg, because of course it is. Um, he appears as a oversized lizard folk, dressed in only a loincloth, wielding a club of razor-sharp fragments of shells. The reason why I bring this up is uh, I like weaponry, especially like medieval weaponry yeah, um, and that kind of stuff. So when we get unique descriptions of weaponry, I like to pay attention to it. Um, and the... Lizard folk club with razor sharp fragments of shells feels a lot like a Maori patu, which is that weird yeah, yeah, yeah. fan no, shaped cool. club, yep. right? And then I went, well, if they're using the Maori weapons, their culture could be f- island based, very Maori inspired warriors. I I like that up until the point where in Maori culture, uh, family is incredibly important. It's not so much the case with lizard folk. Well, but. I mean, I think procreating and keeping a tribe alive is, is, I mean, they're territorial for a reason. Yes. And if it's not because they've got some sort of um, sentimental connection to this land, it's got to be because this is where home is. This is where the younglings are. This is where the hatchlings are. This is the clutch of eggs is about to hatch. Like, yeah. there has to be something that keeps them where they are. And it could just be safety for them and their tribe. Yeah, I, I can see that, especially since, like, Simwaunia. It's it's hard to say that name. Uh, say Semwanya. Yeah. Anyways, um, is a survival god first and foremost, and is completely uncaring to the plight of the lizard folk. So you see, all all he really cares about if if something's been done to survive, it is a good deed. So lizard folk only care about survival and propagation. That's it. That is totally fair. But that means that I mean, so they're not like the Maori. As far as family, but they yeah. are as far as protecting and procreating. And perseverance. Yeah. Maori are also very passionate, and these guys are not. So very that's, much not, yeah. That's another big difference. I don't think I would lean on Maori for No, for yeah, I guess that's fair, yeah. Uh, for their weapons, sure. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I, I have yeah. no problem with that. I just, I feel like lizard folk are crafty. They're going to craft their weapons from the things that they have at hand. Right. And it's not going to be, they're not forging. They're not, it's not metal. They're going to use bone and wood and 
petrified wood and stone to create these, right? Yeah. So looking to more natural weapons of um, native or Aboriginal peoples makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, I'm surprised that their god has a loincloth because they don't wear clothes. That's that is what was I, I guess that's the like one defining visual of him is he's know. got a penis because he's a procreation god. Well, no, just that he's a bit feral. Like he, I, I, I don't exactly know. It is a bit weird that they target that out, especially when you look at the other side of the coin when it comes to objects of worship for uh, lizard folk. And that is this Sessanic character. All right, hold on. I'm going to pause you. Two things. One, do you think they have modesty at all? No. So why would they have a loincloth? Even if they had swinging bits, which I'm not sure they do, or if they do, it's like in some lizards where it's just like in a pouch. We've already decided that they don't, but yeah. No, no but like yeah. they, they have to have organs, yeah, right? Yeah, so, yeah. But it's not discernible from it. But even if, if there was a big swinging cod, they wouldn't give a shit, right? There, there's no humility involved here. No. So. But the other thing, too, is that um, you started talking about Sesenic. And I was thinking about the draconic aspect. And Sesenic is a demon lord. Yeah. So is Tiamat. She is a fiend. She is chaotic evil. Oh, yeah. I guess that tracks. Like, I've never thought of Tiamat like a demon lord. I Well, she's a god. She's an evil god. Yeah. But she's been bumped up and down out of godhood status a few times through D&D lore. I would say specifically she isn't a demon lord because she is allowed to rule an area on Avernus. I'm not sure she's allowed to. I think that she is trapped there. Uh, her spawning pools are there. Like, it, I mean, it's the, it's the front line of the blood war. But She's not involved in the blood war. But though. she's not, right? Which leads me more into believing that she's not a demon lord. But, I mean, Sesenic is also not involved in the blood but, war, which yeah, we'll get into. Right. And But, I mean, Zeriel is a fallen... Angel, celestial yeah. right so there's a lot to be said about avernus being a little bit funky the fact that Yenogu stomps around in there a lot a lot yeah means that i think you can kind of waver it a little bit i think that team is powerful enough that um uh as modis is going to keep an eye on her and say yeah sure you can stay here and the river sticks goes through that area so that she can yeah i guess that's fair yeah but i i think that sisenek and and Tiamat might have at least a passing familiarity with each other Okay. If they're not necessarily allies, there would be a distant respect, probably from Sesenic to Tiamat. Well, I, I know what I agree with you, and that's because of who Sesenic is. He is the demon lord of, uh, or sorry, demon prince of dominion and civilization. Mm -hmm. um, he lives on the seventh layer of the abyss known as the Phantom Plane. This is not fifth ed, is it? You went no. Th th this this is and it isn't. Like Sesenic is in Did fifth you go ed. Wikiing for this. Sesenic is uh, in fifth ed. A lot of his details aren't. Yeah, so that's gotta, what I'm You've got to go yeah. looking for a little bit more. He's name flesh. dropped, but that's it. That's what that, we get with most gods it. and yeah. shit. But the reason why we don't get like a uh, stat block for Sesenic is because he is isolationist. He has he figured out he didn't had nothing to do with the blood war. Wanted nothing to do with it. So he sealed off his plane and just lives there by himself in isolation. Well, there's a territorial like, headspace, but it's weird that he's a god of civilization and is also like a fuck off. Yeah. Right? Like, so xenophobic Incredibly, in a big way. So yeah. any lizard folk that that follows Sesenic 
is going to be xenophobic. And you see a lot of his followers in the Lizardfolk Kings and Queens as they pop up. Yeah, we'll get to that. Which we'll get to that. Now, that's pretty much all we get for information on the culture and worship of Lizardfolk. The only other thing we do want to talk about here, which is a topic of much debate within Dungeons & Dragons, is the specific lizard folk or lizard traits that lizard folk should have. Sure. Namely this cold bloodedness um, and this idea of regeneration. Like if you chop off a tail and it grows back. Right. Okay. Let's tackle uh, their cold bloodedness or ectothermy, which I, I had, I went a bit off the deep end with my looking into biology, doing the prep for this. Um, lizard folk rely on the sun to maintain their body heat. Sure. Like surrounding heat sources to gain body heat. They can overheat quickly and will grow sluggish if kept in the cold. However, a larger cold-blooded creature, and this is something I did want to point out, um, like a lizard folk or an ancient tortoise, um, those similarly weighted like 120 to 200 pound lizards, um, is less reliant on outside heat sources to maintain their internal temperature. Just basically due to surface area, less of their surface, uh, less of their um, volume, volume is, is able to exude heat, so it retains it a little bit easier. That makes perfect sense to me. This is a subtype of ectothermy called gigantothermy. Sure, um, and it's the reason why you uh, why you won't find lizard folk living in the frozen north of Icewind Dale, but they could potentially survive there longer than a gecko would. I mean, that makes perfect sense to me, right? Um, a cold, human will live there longer than a rat will. Exactly, right? Um, now, cold is not the only concern for an ectothermic creature as extreme heat, like a desert, is just as bad, if not worse. Um, an inability to sweat, which is one of the reasons why a lot of ectothermic creatures need to live near moisture sources and water yeah. sources. Um, the chance of overheating due to exposure or drying out is far higher. Look, I've got geckos. Um, I've had many geckos. Yeah. Most of them are tropical, but the ones that I currently have are actually from Iraq in that area. Okay. They are nocturnal as a result. If you're going to drop lizard folk in a desert, they should be nocturnal. Exactly. I know they don't get dark vision, but they don't need it. They're just going to be more active when the sun is not out. Exactly. Now, I want to talk about regeneration. Now, in this respect, I would definitely follow... uh, the form of regeneration found in amphibians, which is the closest for our lizard folk, after a limb is cut off, let's talk about how it works in like geckos and stuff. If which are reptiles. Which are reptiles. Um, after a limb is cut off, the skin will cover the wound completely. Yep. I.e. not a scab, but literal skin in less than two hours, depending on the size of the wound. Yep. The limb then regrows over the next month to three months, depending on the size of the regrowing limb. Okay. And it doesn't grow back right. And it doesn't grow back right. It's going a lot off of cellular memory. The, which, I, the idea of, okay, so with leopard geckos in particular, is they've got a textured tail. There are bumps and almost rings all the way down. Mm-hmm. When they drop their tail for survival purposes and then they regrow a new one, it's smooth and lopsided because it doesn't grow right when it comes back. Yeah. Um, this is at least how it's done in real world tests. And let's be honest, this isn't really a super good place to talk in depth about cell memory, cell proliferation, blastoma, and motor neurons, which is how far I went into my research for this and then went, Dan, stop, cut it back. 
So you're welcome, Internet. You really do need to have someone to say, no, 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 stop, Daniel, no. Yeah, yeah, that's why this uh, relationship we have works so well. Although I am the one going, damn, edit more. <laughs> yeah, right? Um, so based off stock rules, regeneration is not part of lizard folk. And f- frankly, fucking shouldn't be because crocodiles and alligators, and I know that, that they're, they're not perfect um, analogies, but even iguanas and stuff, the large Komodo dragons, they don't have the ability to do this regeneration. No. It is smaller, not quite, not necessarily aquatic, but often aquatic uh, reptiles and uh, and amphibians that can do this. So lizard folk almost fit, but not quite. I would not have them regenerate. No, no, I I, I wouldn't either. Um, especially with the length of time. Also, if you are fighting something like if you're if you're a pc fighting a tribe of lizard folk you're not going to be able to tell the passage of time because it's such a slow process as well right it just doesn't make sense to bring it into your game grung maybe i could see maybe having something like this no i wouldn't bother um but yeah man the the only one that i would possibly give this to is kobolds and the only reason I would do that is because they can straight up change their physiology in the first place yeah, to swap genders. Yeah. So I can see them having some sort of cellular shift. Fine. I'll cool. give it. Yeah. I, I might. But That's actually a really cool flavor for cobalts. I'm, I'm down, especially with how numerous and common cobalts are. Well, we didn't put it in the cobalt episode, so let's do a cobalt episode. Oh, then. God, not another one. Anyways, right. um, before we move on to the breakdowns, we do want to hit a quick little commercial. So commercial time. Are you going to behave for this commercial? Almost certainly not. Why do I even bother with you? Why do you bother me? That's not what... Hey, everyone, and welcome to another stupid commercial that I don't want to fucking... Adam. Daniel. Will you just... Please? Hi, everyone. It's that time again where... Thank God. Dan, I'm trying to record a commercial here. It's that time again where we remind you that we have a mailbag episode coming up soon. So if you have any questions, comments, or random thoughts for any of the hosts, please let us know. We actually really look forward to the mailbag episodes because it lets us talk directly with you guys, the listeners. NPCs. Most of the questions these days are directly related to D&D, but you know we'll answer just about anything. Want to answer while you bother me? Stop it. You can send us direct messages through Instagram, find the post on the subreddit, or send us an email at info at So the next time you're listening to an episode and struck with a quandary, perplexity, or bewilderment, Take a few seconds and type out a quick message for any one of the hosts. We'll make sure that your question gets added to the list. And also remember to enter our giveaways for a chance to have an entire episode dedicated directly to you. It's these interactions that bring the most joy to our lives. That and beer. What? You know what? We really should just get together to answer some questions one day and get drunk. Remember the time I showed up drunk for that one episode? Oh my god, I edit so much out of that one. This advertisement has been brought to you by cirrhosis and idiocy. Please drink responsibly. Don't tell me what to do. You're not my real dad, Dan. So welcome back. Megan is going to be first up to the docket here. She's still chilling out in Castle Ravenloft. She takes a look at how lizard folk would operate in a settlement with other races present, even though they're known for generally being xenomorphs. Nope. Those are aliens. Xenophobes? Xenophobes. Yeah, there we go. Oh, hello, folks. 
So this is Megan here from Castle Ravenloft. I am making new friends here, it seems, but I feel like we've, they're not particularly lively. They're just kind of sitting around in silence. So I don't know who is responsible for making them function. But anyways, um, so I am taking a break to kind of hit you with some knowledge about some lizard folk. There's not a whole heck of a lot to say. So did you know that lizard folk have a very distinct way of speaking? Uh, I think I want to start here. So I feel like it kind of gets forgotten about by a lot of DMs out there. Not only DMs, but player characters. And I feel like you guys are missing out. So, of course, they speak draconic. You can see that within the books, that that's their main way of communication. But the distinction actually lies in the fact that they are very literal when they speak. So they would not understand your one-letter jokes or your sarcasm or your assholery. They would probably take everything you say literally. So think like Vulcan style from Star Trek or what have you. So I feel like this can actually lead to some exciting and fun role play if you actually utilize it correctly as a DM. Or if you ever decide to play a PC lizard folk, which I think, why the hell not, right? Anyways, before I get too far into just digging into that, so I'll just talk about lizard folk as a whole. So something to keep in mind, physically they are a medium humanoid, so... As much as some may picture a giant lizard, these are actually just about the same size as your warrior or your paladin humans kind of feel. Just think human-sized lizard, I guess. They have a natural armor, of course, so consider their scales their natural armor. So it does give them an armor class of 15 on its own. And then another little tidbit is about its speed. So they have an average walking speed of 30, but also a swim speed of 30. So this could be fun and useful if you're an NPC. I'm pretty sure I've been in many campaigns where we've utilized characters that have swim speeds when playing in pirate campaigns or anything revolving around water. Very handy to have someone like this around. And then something to add to that, actually, is that they can hold their breath for 15 minutes, which in D&D is like seven years. So very, very handy and useful. All right, so these guys, they are built pretty hefty. So if we actually get into like the basics of their stat blocks, they do have a strength of 15, a dex of 10, a uh, con of 13. So if you think most average build with a little bit of extra strength, that definitely fits into this. And then their intelligence and wisdom are negative two plus one and negative two. So uh, again, like they're kind of built in my mind to be workers, if that makes sense. So I'm thinking like small town of your farmers, your chefs, your thatch roof builders, your blacksmiths. Like these are going to be your almost average human with some extra strength because they are laborers is what I imagine in my mind. I'm sure you guys have other thoughts about where you would use lizard folk, but that's kind of how I see them in my mind. Of course, they do have attack capabilities um, and they're pretty basic and pretty simple. So they do have a multi-attack. They are lizards, so they can bite, but they do carry weapons if they were to be from a mercenary or army of some kind, which is like their heavy club. They carry a javelin and they have a spiked shield, which all of which cause quite a bit of damage. Um, all of them are plus four to hit. They all only have a reach of five. So your heavy club, of course, is 1d6 plus 2. Your javelin is 1d6 plus 2. And then your spiked shield is 1d6 plus 2. Another really neat thing about them that I personally love is that they actually have a survival of plus 5. So not often do you see a stat block in a monster manual that has something that has a survival um, feature that is extra. Which I love about these guys. Because now I imagine them, like, maybe they didn't quite survive a battle that they were part of like the first line of defense horde and their whole city was burnt down and now they're just wandering around on their own they will survive 
right? So I feel like if you were going to come across these guys in randomly in campaigns, it's actually going to probably be within like the forests of the area living alone or living by themselves or so there's just I feel like now that I'm like speaking about these and reading about these guys there's so many more opportunities for interesting backstories and they're not quite as much as my love for kobolds but definitely a little bit more time and research into these guys would probably benefit you in giving them a reason as to why they found them in a forest again maybe their town burnt down and they just are the only survivor and they're able to survive um, but I did talk a little bit about, you know, how I do believe that lizard folk could be just like your basic in-town commoner. And they do actually have a stat block for that, um, which basically just removes most of their attack capabilities and just gives them the ability to bite. I feel like that rings true in tracks, you know, like they're not trained in battle. So their only defense mechanism is snapping at you with their teeth. And then, of course, um, they do still have the other abilities like holding breath. They do have a speed um, and a walk speed and a swim speed. Um, but their natural armor does go down to 13. So they're just a little bit more squishy. That's the only difference between a commoner and then a lizard folk that you would utilize in battle in my mind. Yeah, I feel like I've spoken a lot about these guys. And one, how you would utilize them in battle. Two, how you would utilize them as city folk. So... I'm interested to hear how you guys have used these in your campaign, because in my mind, you can literally use them anywhere, in my mind. Um, especially if, again, to my love, you are working and operating in a Dragon Ball Z-style world, where animals just are humanoids running around and running amok. So, anyways, what are your thoughts? So, I'm going to throw it back to you. Of course, audience, if you want to follow me, you can follow me on Instagram, at 0mega0. But, other than that, I'll throw it back to you guys. Tell me what you think. So Megan mentioned kind of in passing the stilted literal speech of lizard folk. Yeah. Um, and we talked a little bit about the literal way of, uh, of comprehending speech and whatnot when we were dealing with skeletons before, but this is ramped way up. Oh yeah. Um, what I think that if you're going to run with lizard folk as opposed to dragonborn, which they're very similar um, at face value, but then yeah. when you start to dig into the differences between them and UNT and Cobalt, you're going to get different flavors. Obviously, the lizard folks like vocal traits and their their verbal tics. That's going to be something that I lean into heavily as a kind of way to show that they are different from the others. I I would agree. Yeah, I mean, you do see that UNT are very pragmatic as well, but but they evil. But they're they're super evil. Um, these guys aren't. They're going to say precisely the amount of words they need to say to get their point across, no more, no less. Yeah, and whereas you on T are devious and they're out for deception, lizard folk are not. They're yeah. quite the opposite. They will tell you the truth. I think the closest they're going to come to deception is, are you sure you want to hear that? Because if I say it, you will be upset. Yes, yeah, uh, that, that, that tracks. So they will also have a problem with the names and will often name each other people based on their own naming conventions, tribe to tribe. To these non... You see this a lot with like beginner role players where they're like, they, they play a kind of primal or or savage kind of, of character and they will say, and I will call you Red Fang, yeah. right? And actually for lizard folk, that tracks. Yeah, it really, really does. Um, they, they tend not to focus on themselves in their speech either. For example, starvation is an act of concern instead of I am hungry. Yeah, or like um, healing potions are required instead of saying something like I'm hurt. Yeah. Right. They tend not to make themselves the subject of it. They are very broad, almost robotic in their reporting of an issue, not their own personal perspective on it. 
Yeah. Um, and I, I think that's just because there is no real sense of self when it comes to lizard folk, right? There's, I mean, they're sentient. They're, they're sentient, self-aware. They're self-aware, but they're not, they're not like they're not concerned individualistic. About... They're all about the survival of the tribe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I also noticed that the lizard folk NPCs and monsters only come with draconic and not common. Yeah. Um, so all this discussion about how they refer to things uh, via a translator or translation magic um, is a little bit weird and super flavorful, and I love it. Yeah, you're going to need to have someone to, to translate this. You cannot just... An elf, a halfling, and a dwarf cannot walk into a lizard folk tribe, right? It sounds like being of a joke, right? <laughs> um, two clerics and a paladin walk into a bar. Um, but we, we really get the idea that um, they're going to communicate very strangely. Yeah. So looking a little bit at the stat blocks, standard lizard folk at CR half are actually not as beefy as you might think. They do have 48 plus 4 hit points. Which is a pile. Yeah, but that 1d6 plus 2 damage on each one of their attacks, I mean, they're scary for a couple of levels, but a well-organized party can drop their numbers relatively quickly if they start to play the action economy game, right? It's not going to take much to drop one and then another and then another and then another, and you're just laughing from there. Yeah. They don't have a whole lot of offensive capabilities here. So play the numbers. Yeah, I mean they they look like they are there just to kind of be massive damage sponges. Yeah, but I mean they're CR half. So if you if your party of four or five runs into two of these guys at first level, that's enough. You, yeah, but I mean you drop one, 48 hit points is nothing. You can drop one and now suddenly it's a CR half encounter. Yeah. I it's not that it's not that beefy. It's it's when you start to run into groups of these guys at level three or four yeah. where it starts to become more of an issue. Yeah, that's true. Hey, did you notice the one thing that was missing? We mentioned it earlier, so I know you did. But did you, the listener, notice the thing that was missing from the stat block? Dark vision. I'm glad it's not there. There needs to be less dark vision involved. Yeah, in- especially for uh, the lizard folk, which lizards notoriously have bad eyesight. So I'm I'm on board with it. I like it. Um, I want to see more things without dark vision, to be honest. Yeah, me too. I mean, there are just some assumptions that we're generally making about creatures at this point, like the fact that they have dark vision kind of standard. Yeah. It's- well, it, it's weird that it, it it's almost to the point of seeing through all these mobs and, and spending the past two and a half years breaking down races and monster classes. Um, we've seen that it is really apparent that Watsi has made dark vision the standard and not dark vision the exception. Right, like, well, the monsters need a leg up on perception. Like, what they're trying to do is make it scarier to go adventuring, and just by simply having them be able to see you and you not be able to see them is is what works there. Also, I feel like any time they can even remotely justify it, elves have keen eyes, give them dark vision. Dwarves are underground, give them dark vision. Skeletons don't have eyeballs, but it's evil magic, give them dark vision. Right, like the moment that it comes up, if they can justify it somehow, then they'll do it. Dragonborn are, you're bad. Just don't do it. Which I, I don't, still don't understand that. I don't understand that one at all. Um, anyway, speaking of these assumptions that people make, Megan keeps mentioning these guys live in a forest, which just goes to show the mentality that Terry's always talking about, right? New DMs tend to focus on forests and plains and will often frame their adventures and encounters in that way, despite the fact that these guys exist, according to the lore, primarily in jungles and swamps. Yeah. We do tend to try and put our mobs in a more neutral setting. I'm sure that, as we discussed, orcs, goblins, kobolds, gnolls, and undead 
most people weren't picturing deserts or tundra or tropical beaches unless we were specifically talking about the Icewind Dale kobolds. Yeah. Right? right. So so we have to stop thinking about this neutral blank empty room. Yeah. As Terry says, it's two o'clock on a Thursday. The sun is out, but it's mostly cloudy and it's twelve de- uh, 19 degrees out. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so we have to stop thinking like that. When you run into lizard folk, your environment is different. One of the things about lizard folk, which is interesting to me at least, is the fact that nine times out of ten, when you're fighting them, you are in difficult terrain. Yeah, just hard stop. You're in swamps and jungles. You're not on roads or in settlements fighting lizard folk. Lizard folk wouldn't be caught dead near a road. No, not unless they've got a reason to go out and be a part of that that world. Yeah. And Megan keeps talking about them like their standard NPC race that would mix in. And like, sure, maybe sometimes, but not often. Look, yeah. It's not going to be a common occurrence. When a lizard folk walks into the village, that is going to have everybody stop and take a look. Yeah, they're, they are unique um, and and noticeable. They're they're not going to be sticking their neck out unless they absolutely need to. I feel like you could teach a lizard folk the pragmatic boons and rewards for trade, for dealing with people, yep. for writing things down even, and they could go back and teach their tribe. So every tribe could be a little bit different based on the history of how they've interacted with other cultures yep. in the past. And is that knowledge passed down? For example, Draconic, right? I feel like they got that, like Sesenek got that from Tiamat. I could see that, yeah. Um, now, when you're looking at the differences between the Monster Manual Lizard Folk and the Lizard Folk Commoner from Ghosts of Saltmarsh, Megan's right. The stats just seem to take a bit of a hit. The AC drops because they don't carry a shield anymore. Their HP drops by a full hit die. And their stealth and survival bonuses also take a bit of a hit. They're clearly not meant to be warriors, and that's why they drop to a CR quarter. Ultimately, these differences feel like the difference between the warrior lifestyle and a civilian lifestyle, which gives us a bunch of insights into how their culture and tribes work, Yeah, which but, I really like. But this is not an inherent biological difference. This is training. Yeah. And this is how we should look at a lot of our mobs, right? When we start looking at the different hit dice in the AC and the skills that they have... The difference between a Hobgoblin Devastator and a, hob- a Hobgoblin Captain. They have different hit dice. Yeah. Not because one is is necessarily beefier or has is more barrel chested or whatever it is. It's not biological. Sometimes it is. An Orog versus an Orc is a biological, biological difference. Yeah. Yeah. But a lot of the times it can just come down to training. Think about this when you're dealing with your mobs or creating additional mob members to fill out your army. Yeah. Um... It's also kind of important to note here that the focus is on their bite as their primary weapon attack um, for the commoner. Fists and tails and claws would still be able to be used to some degree, but it's improvised improvised, weapons. Yeah, Yeah, right. Um, Their crocodilian bite, for lack of a better word, um, is very, very potent. And it's kind of their signature move. We haven't really talked about that. Lizard folk are known for their bite. Yeah. Right, that is the thing. Yes, they have claws, but yeah. it's it's the bite that gets that big nasty hit die attached to it. And when they come away from uh, a bite, they're usually chewing. Let's put it that way. Like they're they're yeah, they're they're rending the flesh from you. Yeah, exactly. So, anyways, um, we're gonna move on to James, who's still chilling out Grave Hollow Library. He's covering the Lizard Folk Scale Shield, 
which, if that sounds familiar, Cobalt. No, they have a dragon shield, and they're scale sorcerers. I did a double take on that, too. Oh, okay. It, it's, it's very close. It's very similar. This is why we have, like, they're kind of almost draconic-ish sometimes. Yeah. I really wish that Wizards of the Coast would have had a better difference between them. That's fair enough. Anyways, on to James. Thanks, Dan and Adam. Today I'm going to be telling you about the Lizardfolk Scale Shield. Clad in crocodile scale and metal, with advanced tactical and martial weapon training, these elite warriors and officers of the Lizardfolk clan are found protecting Lizardfolk lairs. They have AC of 16, HP of 5d8 plus 10, and a movement speed of 30. Their strength, they're fairly strong, they have an average dexterity, their constitution is better than that of a human, intelligence is below average, wisdom is also better than that of a human, and their charisma is below average. They have an athletics of plus 4, a perception of plus 3, and a survival of plus 5. They also have a passive perception of 13. Their CR is 1. They also have the ability to hold their breath for 15 minutes. The actions they can take are a multi-attack, which is two melee attacks with different weapons. One weapon would be the Morning Star for a plus four to hit, a five foot reach, and damage of 1d8 plus two piercing, and a bite of plus four to hit, five foot reach, 1d6 plus two piercing. They also have a spiked shield of a plus four to hit, 1d6 plus two piercing. They can do the reaction of shield block. If an ally within five feet is hit by an attack of an enemy, they can use the shield to half the damage. They also use giant lizards, which can be ridden or used as beasts of burden. They're also kept as pets by the lizard folk. Their AC is 12. Their HP is 3d10 plus three with a 30 foot movement speed. They're fairly strong. Their dexterity is better than that of a human, as well as their constitution. Their intelligence is abysmal, their wisdom is average, and their charisma is underwhelming. They have dark vision to 30 feet and a passive perception of 10. They have a CR of 1 quarter. The actions they can take is bite, which is a 1d8 plus 2 piercing. There are some variants of the giant lizard, which will have one or both of these traits. Hold breath. They're able to hold their breath for 15 minutes and also have a 30 foot swim speed. Or spider climb, which they're able to climb on difficult terrain, even upside down, without having to make an ability check. With a role in the society, the scale shield lizard folk are a solid force to be reckoned with. They will put up a heavy fight if you were to assault their homes, as well as with support from the giant lizards and their variants. They make an elite force that is a force to be reckoned with. So the multi-attack here says that it has to be two different melee attacks, which is fun at first glance, but it's just bullshit flavor when you realize, like James listed, that all of the bonus reaches, damages, and the damage types are identical between their Morning Star, their Bite, and their Spike Shield. It is just flavor. Which I'm cool with, but... Fine. I mean, we should be looking at how different attacks work in combat to add more flavor to it. Yeah. But I... They're, all, this... identi- they're all mechanically identical. Yeah. Uh, was this fucking necessary? 
I, 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 again, I, I, if you use the option you have in front of you with a lot of these humanoid mobs of swapping out weapons and stuff with other types of weapons, go, go nuts. Go nuts. And in this specific instance, I would actively encourage it because you want to have at least some variance between a bite and a morning star. Yeah, but I'm going to rely on clubs and bone daggers and things like that as opposed no. to short swords and rapiers and whatnot. I mean, uh, simple weapons and not steel. I, I Yeah, I would also have uh, like limited pole arms or... or but like, they're carved. They're, they're carved or there is a swath There's a piece of, of shale in the end of it. Or, stuck inside, yeah. right? Like something we didn't really mention earlier. Uh, lizard folk are known for their crafting. Yeah, I mentioned it. But it's it's purely off of the um, utilization of the dead, like of the fullness of the animal, right? Yeah. The other thing, too, is I, if they kill an enemy, they will pick up a sword if it's a better weapon for yeah. them. They're not necessarily going to be proficient with it. But they know it's better for them. They know it'll do more damage if they can hit, but they're not quite sure how to use it. Yep. Um, so that's something as well that I would take a look at. I would not have the proficiency modifier added. I would go straight off of whatever the the base strength is if they pick up the longsword. Fair enough, yeah. Right. One thing I am a fan of is any reaction that has a unique way to defend against any uh, enemy forces. Um, and the idea that Lizardfolk can mitigate damage to adjacent allies is really fun. It's interesting that they can't use this feature on themselves, though, which is a bit weird. Um, what does this tell us about their society and their training? Adam, I think that your your comment earlier of the fact that they don't give a shit about their their society is is false. This is about their training and about their their civilization, the way that they will go out of their way to train their best warriors to protect others. I, I when I said that, I meant like they don't give a shit about like growing their society. They don't give a shit about like their society. They give us a, uh, a, a shit about their tribe. Right, and it, they think about themselves it's maintaining as a population. It is yeah. not about becoming an advanced. They're not advancing their their civilization. Yeah, I mean, like we said earlier, they're not really thinking in very individualistic terms. They're if I save that person's life, they could save mine later. Right. Yeah. So it's it's very much that kind of level. Okay, I want to talk about the giant lizard there for a second. The, uh, the lizard in the stab lock, not the other giant lizard that you keep on trying to talk to me about. I'm just going to start showing you one of these days, Dan. You can see how scaly it is. I really see a doctor or at least use lotion. No. Anyway, is it weird that uh, giant lizards get a bite that has a higher damage die than a lizard folk? Ah, uh, no. I don't think so either, but it, it did surprise me the first time I saw it. Like, these giant lizards should have like a 1d6, which is what I was expecting, right? A 1d6 plus 2, which is kind of what the lizard folk has. But they ended up with a 1d8 plus 2. Uh, I go bigger mouths, bigger teeth. I mean, they're the same size, but still. I'm trying to get a flavor for the giant lizards. And there's a couple of different options like James was talking about. Um, and I, I just, I want to talk about it for a second. Okay? okay. So there's the climb speed. They come standard with the ability to climb at 30 feet. But then there's one of the variants, which has spider climb, which has it can climb difficult surfaces, including upside down on ceilings without needing to make an ability check. Hmm. As a DM, do you make creatures with climb speeds do ability checks on non-difficult terrain? No. If it has a climb speed, it just goes. It just goes. Yeah. It, I agree with you. At what point does it become difficult terrain then? If the surface is slick, if there's something that makes the difficult... Like, 
just like There's walking no on holes. normal ground. Like if it's smooth glass. Yeah. If if I am looking at what makes difficult terrain for your human walking on the ground, I'm going to look at that same level of difficult terrain for the ceiling of the cavern. Right. Sure. If if there's an excessive amounts of foliage that they can't quite get purchase on, or if it's slick or smooth, or there's no natural handholds, all of that stuff is going to play into this. So even upside down, like gravity working against you when you're on the ceiling, difficult terrain. I I, I just I just go whatever's on the ground that would make difficult terrain would be difficult terrain on the ceiling. It's just it's but I, I, gravity the, inside the, of the wall doesn't matter. Right. Okay. Them. But if there's a horizontal ceiling, it doesn't matter if there's like, it's difficult terrain, even with handholds, it's difficult terrain, unless it specifically says in a stat block like this, that you can walk on ceilings. Oh yes. Yeah. Yeah. I understand what you're asking. So I'm going to make you do a, an athletics or acrobatics sure. check across yeah. the ceiling. Right. Sure. Yeah. Um, I also feel like with these guys that there are – okay, so there's two variants, which means there's three different kinds of giant lizards. And fair I, enough, yeah. And I was looking at the kind of inspiration that I can find for them. So the basic one that doesn't have the water shit or the spider climb, that one um, probably looks like a bearded dragon or a Komodo dragon. Okay. Right? I, I'm thinking more Komodo than bearded just because they've got um, that big nasty bite, bite to them. yeah, yeah. The aquatic ones – Probably look like alligators or crocodiles. Okay. Right? Just, I mean, what kind of aquatic reptiles do we have beside those that aren't salamanders and newts? Yeah, those are definitely the biggest threats. Yeah, and the spider climb ones, I'm geckos, but probably not like like the green ones that you're thinking of or the leopard geckos that you see in pet stores. I'm thinking like the gargoyle geckos or crested geckos, something that has the the sticky pads on on their feet, but they've got a little bit more of a harsh look to them. Yeah, they look almost armored. Yeah, I don't get a salamander or newt or chameleon vibe off of any of these creatures, but I mean, there's no fucking reason why not. Good lord, one of these things with like an advantage to stealth because it's changing its color palette to mix in with its surroundings. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's a lot of fun. Maybe it takes a full action to to do that and it can't do anything else. It, uh, it has to forego its entire turn in order to blend. Yeah. Right? So it can't move and it can't do actions or bonus actions. Adam, I, I legitimately don't know this. You are the expert on lizards um, in, in my life. Uh, you're the person I would go to if I ever have any lizard-based questions. It's very weird, but okay, I'll take it. Um, what happens... I, I know a chameleon's uh, color-changing ability doesn't... Camouflage? Is that yeah, what you're looking yeah, for? their camouflage doesn't translate really one-to-one. No. What happens if you put like them in front of plaid? Because that's often a joke you see in cartoons, and I have young kids, so I watch a lot of cartoons, and this is yeah. That's why you watch cartoons, you grown ass man child. I mean, there's that too. Um, I like to think I'm just fun. It has less to do with them blending into the circumstances like around them. That is a factor, but it has a lot to do with how warm they are. It has a lot to do with the breed of chameleon. Their emotional state, how stressed they are in that moment, how hungry they are. So there is a lot that goes into a chameleon changing colors. It's not like you see on television. They don't go from bright purple to neon yellow. It's not like that. So if I'm going to have a a giant lizard that can change color, right? I would almost have it be able to change texture more than anything else. Okay. Right? Think about the way that some... um, 
you can see almost like octopi and whatnot that will change the the nature of their skin. Yeah. Most okay, so I had what's called a bibron gecko, which nobody knows what the fuck that is because they're super rare. But they were able to go from like a light gray through to a very dark brown, nearly black. But they were also able to look smooth or bumpy. Okay. And their skin was very, very fragile. You couldn't handle them because if you were to hold them and they were trying to run away, even the friction of your hand holding them, just the slightest amount of pressure, would rip their skin, would deglove them. Ugh. Because their skin is so um, malleable and pliable above the surface of their their uh, their flesh and their meat. Yeah. Right? So the fact that it could do this kind of thing. Think about octopus skin too, right? Is like you can really rip it off without too much um, too much effort. Yeah. So when you have these kind of creatures that can do this, think about how fragile they are kind of at a base level as well. Yeah, that's fair. I wouldn't give a chameleon giant lizard the maximum hit points by any means. Cool. Well, we're going to move on to Dave, who's again uh, sitting in Kabara. Um, he's talking about the lizard folk shaman, shaman, which are literal druids and can wild shape. Hey guys, Dave here again, coming to you from Still Kibar. Uh, still sitting here in the jungle, and let me tell you, we have come across dozens and dozens of lizard folk. And the one that really stood out to me was, I think it was their shaman, okay, the lizard folk shaman. Now, these guys are medium humanoids, uh, and their, their alignment is neutral, okay? They do have natural armor, which makes their AC 13, and they have 5d8 plus 5 hit points. They have a speed of 30 feet and a swim speed of 30 feet, which I will get back into in a minute here. Uh, now their strength and constitution and wisdom are above average, so they're not to be trifled with. Their dexterity and intelligence and charisma are all maybe just a little bit below average or higher. Like it's, these things are not weaker than an average human. In fact, you could make an argument that they're probably a little more powerful than the average human. For skills, they get a plus four to perception, a plus four to stealth, and a plus six to survival, which really gives them the upper hand uh, hanging around in the jungles here of Kibara. Their passive perception is a 14, and the only language they speak is draconic. These guys are a CR2. Now, like other lizard folk, the, they do have some abilities. Uh, hold breath. They can hold their breath for 15 minutes. That seems pretty standard. But these ones can also cast spells. Again, they're shaman, right? Uh, they can only cast spells when they're in their lizard folk form. Now, these lizard folk shaman are 5th level spellcasters, okay? Wisdom is their uh, spell save DC, which is 12. Uh, they get a plus 4 to hit with their spell attacks. They also have the following druid spells prepared, okay? So their cantrips, which they do at will, are druid craft, produce flame, and thorn whip. Their first level, they have four slots for entangle and fog cloud. At second level, they got three slots for heat metal and spike growth. And at third level, they've got two slots for conjure animals, reptiles only, and plant growth. So again, these guys are really druidy. I mean, they have druid spells, of course they are. Uh, for their actions, though, they do get a multi-attack, again, in lizard folk form only, where it makes two attacks, one with its bite and one with its claw. Uh, the bite attack is a melee weapon attack. It's a plus four to hit, reach of five feet, and it does 1d6 plus two piercing, or 1d10 plus two piercing when it's in its crocodile form. If the lizard folk shaman is in their crocodile form, 
and their target is large or smaller, then the target is grappled with an, uh, an escape DC of 12, okay? Uh, until the grapple ends, the target is restrained and the lizard folk can't bite anything else. If the lizard folk shaman returns back to its true form, the grapple ends, period, okay? Pretty straightforward. Their claw uh, is, again, lizard folk form only. It's a plus four to hit, reach of five feet, and it does 1d4 plus two, okay? So it, when it's in its lizard folk form, it gets two attacks, uh, one with the bite, one with the claws. Uh, if it's in its crocodile form, it gets one with its bite, uh, which does a little bit more because that will grapple as well. Now, again, you've already figured out they can transform into crocodiles. They have change shape. This recharges after a long or a short rest. Uh, essentially what happens is they polymorph into a crocodile and they can remain that way for up to an hour. Remember, again, they can breathe underwater for 15 minutes and they got swim speed. This makes sense. They can revert to their true form as a bonus action, which I think opens up a lot of uh, roleplay potential. But its statistics, other than its size, are the same no matter which form they're in, crocodile or lizard folk. Equipment it is wearing or carrying does not transform. And uh, if the lizard folk shaman is killed in its crocodile form, it does revert back to its lizard folk form. So the idea of having your guys come across crocodiles and being able to avoid them makes a lot of sense. The idea that your players can see a crocodile get into the water, maybe it shape changes in the water back into the lizard folk form. It starts conjuring reptiles, potentially a crocodile, to throw them off, and then starts throwing spells and stuff. Like, uh, there's a lot of potential here with these lizard folk shaman. They can do a lot. They are not just a simple... Oh, it's either hitting with its bite or its claw, or it's biting with its uh, with its crocodile attack. It doesn't like it doesn't have to be just that. It can be so much more than that. Having these these shamans in the mob introduces spell casting. I like the idea of maybe changing up the spells a little bit. Uh, if I had some time beforehand uh, to make some changes, I would maybe tailor it a little bit more to uh, complement what my party is doing. I just, I, I feel like there's a lot that can be done with these. Like I said, uh, the role-playing side of things, having these guys come up to a, a jungle encampment that's, you know, has crocodiles in the moat or whatever, or even a castle that has a moat with crocodiles in the moat, which turn out to be these lizard folk shaman, that cannot just jump up, bite, attack, and throw spells, but maybe have a conversation. The idea of a shaman being out at the front to me gives you the ability to talk right if you're coming up against just regular old lizard folk there's less of a chance i feel that they're going to be interested in engaging in a conversation not to say it's impossible of course it is but having the 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 lizard folk that's a little higher in the hierarchy of things um being out at the 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 perimeter of an encampment i think can uh, add a lot to a role play scenario as well it can allow your players to see more than just the run in and fight and leave again side of things, okay? Uh, anyways, that's all I've got for today, so I'm going to throw it back to Adam and Dan. You guys can always find me on r slash it's a mimic uh, at the subreddit there, and I will catch you guys next time. I love giving Dave these fucking tongue twisters. <laughs> Lizard folk form only. Sucks to have to repeat in an audio medium. So Dan, I want to see how many times you can say it fast. 
Is there a limit or do I just keep going? Just keep going until you fail. Okay. Lizard folk form only. 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 Lizard fork. Yeah. Okay. That was on five. Yeah. Dave, man, I had the pleasure of editing Dave's freaking portion. He said lizard fork more times than I can count. All right. So anyway, I understand that it's cool to turn into a crocodile, but why the fuck would you? Because you're a fucking crocodile. Yeah, man, but you're worse off than... The only advantage at all is your grapple ability, which is an underwhelming escape DC 12. Yeah, man, I don't know. Like, (sighs) wild shape in and of itself, if it works the way that it worked in Druids, would be one thing. This is different. Yeah. So, um... Yeah, you're not getting the bonus hit points on this. This right this this feels like just a get out of jail free oh shit button. Or you're spying, maybe. Or that, yeah. Yeah, that works too. Um, I mean, I don't think that they'd likely turn into a crocodile. The multi-attack and um, spellcasting abilities that they have make it far more versatile in its lizard folk form than its crocodile. Yeah, I just, I just don't see it. I don't understand why they would do this. I mean... Here's another thing. You'll notice that these guys aren't necessarily support casters. I mean, they could be really useful on battlefield control, but they're built like bruisers when compared to the average lizard folk. Dave is right. These guys would, in theory, be on the front line of a battle. I agree. And it's clear by the flavor text in the monster manual that these shamans, then, are the de facto leaders of their tribes, unless there's some shenanigans going on, which we'll cover later. So if there's the opportunity to talk with a member of the tribe, it's going to be with one of these guys. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I My only pushback against these guys being in the front of combat is because lizard folk are the ultimate pragmatists and because the idea of having a spellcaster is so rare amongst their number, lizard folk would know we need to maintain this person's You are going to be more effective hunters and therefore keep more lizard folk alive if you have your strongest people in and among your, your yes, but if you are defending an incursion or defending or do like if you're not hunting, you are defending your territory. I don't see the shaman folk being in the front. If you're hunting, yes, they would they would be the first to strike. But I don't see them being necessarily in the front lines. I'm looking at it like this: the civilization, let's say, has forty people, a forty lizard folk in it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's say that of them, 30 are capable of, of fighting. The others are either too young or too old or infirm somehow. I'm sure. pretty sure they would eat the infirm ones, but whatever. Yeah. I mean, they're not pushing them into uh, on an iceberg out to sea. That's for sure. Right. So let's say that 30 of the 40 can fight. And so they would leave three behind to watch the eggs if need be. They're sending literally everyone else, even if it's only one incursion, because... 30 some odd, like the 28. Most, the most numbers you have, the higher chance of survival. Exactly. Right? So yeah. I think that the shaman would be there on the front lines. However, they may be there as a crocodile, like to slap the tail to say, okay, go. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Or, or something like that. Well, let's look at their spells that they get, because maybe that'll give us a little bit more insight as well. As cantrips, they get Druidcraft, Produce Flame, and Thorn Whip. Produce Flame was weird for me when I first saw this, but then I thought, you know... That's super useful for the primitive lifestyle. Yep. Thorn Whip is also very useful for separating um, enemy combatants. Enemy combatants. Yeah. So, like, I could see them using Thorn Whip to pull this guy over into a crowd of, you know, four or five other lizard folks. As much as I said that they're not about battlefield control necessarily, they're not support casters. I just mean they're not buffing and debuffing. Yeah, they're, they're very, very much, much battlefield control. Yeah, so I mean, and you get that with the first level spells. Yeah, you get Entangle and Fog Cloud. For four slots, so they're casting this a lot. Yeah. Right? 
Uh, second level, you get three slots, which you get heat metal, which I like, and spike growth. Heat metal I like because of the, oh, all of these guys are wielding swords and stuff. Well, even the playing field, make them drop their weapons. Yeah, I also really like it from a flavor standpoint of they have a very basic idea of how to produce flame, but they're not masters of fire. Yeah. I feel like they would just put more of their magical essence into the exact same spell and have it heat metal. Hmm. This kind of makes me feel like lizard folk are maybe an evolutionary step below your standard humans. Oh, I think so. Yeah. I absolutely think so. I think that they are just a step back. If, if you are running like a far future campaign or something, lizard folk should be like industrial era. While the humans folk. are, you know, spacefaring, right? Like a, that kind of level of stuff. Um, at third level, you get two slots for conjure animals and plant growth. Now, these both work uniquely. Conjure animals, you're only getting reptiles. Yeah. Okay. Um, which, I mean, more crocodiles. Well, look. There are there are only five options in the monster manual for what you can actually get. Okay. All right. So you can get a swarm of poisonous snakes. Yep. But only one. Four crocodiles. Yep. Eight constrictor snakes. Yikes. Eight giant lizards. Double yikes. Or eight giant poisonous snakes. Triple yikes. I'll tell you right now, I'm not bothering with the swarm and I'm not bothering with the crocodiles. As much as it's thematic, they may, they may summon four crocodiles and then hide among them. That's the only way I would use the crocodiles. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, this is about action economy and these guys would know that. From a pragmatic standpoint, the more enemies or the more allies you have on the field to fuck up your enemies, the more effective you are going to be. And they're going to understand that and utilize that whenever they can. Yes, absolutely. I also think that they're going to do this to uh, cover their escape. Uh, Yeah, I can see that. They're going to summon and then they're going to fog cloud and then everybody gets out. Yep. No, that, that, that tracks for me. All right, can we talk about the elephant in the room then? Uh, I mean... Dave is changing the spell list to fuck with his players specifically. Yes. Do you do this? Um, do you look at them and say, hey, I've got a barbarian. I'm going to then choose this psychic damage to get past the barbarian. No. I don't either. Um, but I know a lot of DMs that do. With a standard run-of-the-mill, just a caster and an encounter mob? No. As a big bad evil guy, wizard, spellcaster, whatever, yeah, def- definitely, yeah. Right? Uh, but no, your your odd dude with a wand yeah. over there. I'm not gonna. No, like I, 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 there's a line, and that fucking crosses it in my in my opinion. I'm willing to do it if I want to. Okay, so I like to highlight every one of the players in the in the session uh, at least once, and I would like to have every other session. Um, highlight different people in a, in a more massive way. So for plot points, right? Yeah. So there are some times when I want to just neuter the barbarian because he's overshadowing everybody else and outshining them. It's time to knock him back a peg. But I'm not going to select this monster then. I'm going to select a different monster, monster that'll, that'll tie him up somehow, yeah. right? So, however, when it comes to spellcasting, I don't see why you wouldn't have this have access to this. But I'm going to look specifically at the druid spell list and nothing above this spell level, unless I'm making a big, crazy NPC. I would also, if you are repeatedly harrying a lizard folk shaman or something, and he would start recognizing your party and, and whatnot, then yes, on the second, third, fourth fight against this guy, if he manages to get away, because they will run away. 
If you are overpowering them, they will run and they will be able to pick up on it probably quicker than you are. I would say that this is going to be one of the mobs that retreats before any other does. Uh, yeah, These yeah. guys and kobolds, because they're all about like, gnolls are going to go and go and go. Zombies and skeletons are never going to stop. But. We're, we're not there yet, but Yuan-Ti would be a step ahead of these guys, in my opinion. Yuan-Ti would run way before a lizard folk would. De- depends on which Yuan-Ti. They're very different. Yeah, that's true, So, too. But I think your standard lizard folk is going to retreat back into their own territory. And if they're in their own territory, they're probably going to head to their home base within their territory. Yeah, and I mean, they will run, and if, if they see they are being chased, they will, as I said earlier, try to... Uh, lead your party in a direction away from their camp and towards the layer of something big and ugly. You know, I really like the idea of the fact that they've got a couple of backup plans and contingencies. Yes, yeah. They're a little bit Ewok. A little bit, yeah. I like that. Anyways, uh, we're going to move on now to Terry, who is covering the Lizard Folk Render. Hello, thanks Adam and Dan for passing it back over to me. I'm still over at the Green Dragon Inn. It's Barbara Streisand Karaoke Night. So, a couple of tunes coming from Terry later on. But before that, we're talking about Lizard Folk and more particularly for me, Lizard Folk Renders. What is the Lizard Folk Render? Well, it's filled with primal magic. This is a this is a Lizard Folk that's undergone a day-long ritual by a shaman. And uh, this, is, this is seen in, in Danger and Dunwater. But the render's claws grow long, they, they become hard like steel, and it, its frame enlarges, and, uh, and it starts to become much more ferocious than even a regular lizard folk would be. So let's look at these stats. I like this because I feel like we've essentially created Killer Croc here. Killer Croc, shout out to DC. I don't usually mention DC Comics much. I find that their characters are a lot more juvenile their their audience. Their characters seem to be catered towards a childlike audience. I feel like that's that's the type of people that enjoy characters named The Flash. But get at me, internet. Say what you like. Your mouth off. I won't read it. Okay. Lizard Folk Render. Large humanoid. Lizard Folk. Sure. Neutral. I understand that. I like that because that, to me, is lizards right they're just neutral they're ferocious in that they need to get their job done they need to eat this is their territory they need to protect their eggs whatever but don't think for a second that they particularly hate you or have dislike towards you that's not true it, it's just that's nature that's the way the world is and when you're cold-blooded like this that's the way it's got to be it's only us as humans i think that overwhelm things with compassion and have to personify things and we keep our soft toys for 15 years because we think it's real that's not like lizards right so armor class 15 they have natural armor hit points higher 7d 10 plus 14 i like it Speed 30 feet, swim speed of 30 feet. That's important. Use that to your advantage. Lizard folk renders can swim. They will be in an environment where they can swim, okay? Remember, it's not going to be an open meadow, 19 degrees, whatever that is in America, at 2 o'clock on a Thursday afternoon. Take that out of your mind. Think swamps, think area that they can swim. Stats. Strength, dex, and con. Strength and con are higher than average. Um, you know, strength's at 16 here, that's a plus 3 modifier. Dex, average dexterity, same as what it would be for you as a human in, in real life. What it should be for you as a human in real life. Intelligence is a little bit lower. Yes, that makes sense that their academic intelligence is going to be lower. They're not going to be able to teach you trigonometry. But their wisdom is higher than average, than that of an average human. I think this is important. Because these lizard folk are not necessarily stupid in that sense. I bet you they have a better understanding of what is going on in the world around them than you do. Same as your dog would. Your dog will hear a sound 
from 400 meters away and probably know what it is before you even know that there's something to make a sound. Your dog or a lizard folk render will smell something and know what it is. They'll know what sounds coming from animals mean. This animal is in pain. This animal is angry. Whatever, before you can even figure it out. They'll have a much better of the, of understanding of the world going on around them. Charisma is going to be lower. They're not going to interact with people very well. It's, you know, essentially you're speaking a different language in that sense. I mean, I know you're speaking a different language, but I mean, like, they, your frame of mind is going to be completely different. We as humans, I made a joke earlier, I think we're very weak in some senses. I'm one of those people that says our compassion is a weakness, even though I have it too. I don't think it's a strength. I think that's fluff that people put on it because we don't want to get rid of it. Um, but they're not going to have that. They're not going to run over to protect their friend that they're friends owned with, but secretly they're in love with or something like that. That's not going to happen with these people, but it will happen with you. But that's because they don't interact with people the same way, so their charisma is lower. Okay, skills, athletics, sure. Perception, makes sense. Survival, absolutely. Got no problems with any of these. I think it all makes sense. Sense of passive perception, 13. Yes, it's going to have a higher than average passive perception. Uh, language is draconic. Yeah, yeah. Of course, it's, they're not going to be interesting when it comes to languages, but sure. Challenge rating of three. Let's look at these abilities. Blood Frenzy. So the lizard, lizard folk render has advantage on melee attack rolls against any creature that doesn't have all of its hit points. I like this. I like this because this is what it's like for, for creatures in the wild. This is the same for like grizzly bears as well, really, as well as it would be for these types of lizard folk. As soon as they smell weakness or sense that you're falling apart they're going to triple down on their attack and it isn't this slow swinging type attack that people seem to think animals have this thing will be on you like shit on a stick you won't know what day of the week it is and by the time you've even realized that your body is in pain your body will be in pieces that's what that's what this is okay it can hold its breath so the render can hold its breath for 15 minutes that is important. You don't skip over this flavor text and just be like, okay, but how much damage does it get from its claws or something? No, it has the ability to hold its breath for up to 15 minutes. The challenge for your party will be putting them into an environment where they cannot hold their breath for 15 minutes and the enemy can hold their breath for 15 minutes. How are they going to come? I'm, I'm thinking, I'm thinking like sinking ship or boat here where the water level is coming up and they're you know it's only the couple of tables that are floating you know and they're going down one at a time that's where my mind is going here and by the way it's going to take longer than 15 minutes for help to come you know this is what i'm thinking actions multi-attack the render makes two attacks one with his claws and one with his bite yep standard so claws melee attack it's plus five to hit it's reached 10 feet 10 feet this is a larger creature and it's going to do 2d8 plus three slashing damage your bite attack is going to be your reach five feet, one target, 1d10 plus three. Piercing damage, important to know. How about this ability, rend the field. So this recharges on a five and six. Uh, so the lizard folk render can make a claw attack against each creature of its choice within 10 feet of it. A creature hit by this attack must succeed on a DC 13 strength saving throw or be knocked prone. I like this because now you're thinking tactically. Okay, remember these lizard folk are not stupid. They are stupid if you want them to do a Rubik's cube but so am I. They're stupid if you want them to do some serious problem solving, but they're not stupid in understanding the world around them. Okay, so they're not stupid in understanding what is gonna cause more damage or that the skinny man over there with the long stick that's making fire come out of his ass is probably the dangerous one. He's the one that they need to put down quickly. 
They're not gonna. They're not gonna. Um, they're not gonna deal with the gnome that's playing with his little lock picking tools. Probably not. You know, not if there's a more fierce uh, threat in front of them. So this is where you're being tactical with your lizard folk render here. Whoever's making the magic, whoever seems to be the most dangerous. That is the person that I'm going to try and put on their ass. This is about restricting movement. I talk about movement in D&D all the time. I think it's overlooked. The, the use of, of, of movement on a battlefield is critical. It's critical. And it is overlooked all the time. So my spellcasters, my blasters here, the weaker people, I'm going to put them on their ass. I'm going to knock them prone as often as I can. So every single turn, they have to use up half of their movement so now they're likely going to be moving 15 feet because they have to get up to do whatever they want to do. I'm cutting everything they want to do in half. That plan goes out the window. Players typically will not think of, of plans that work around their movement being restricted. Yes, they'll think about what do I do if I start to run out of spell slots? What type of mundane items do I have? Where are the escape hatches? Where can I do? But they do not think about situations that will restrict their movement. Their movement, okay? So fuck their movement up. Their plan will go out the window, they'll start to fight each other, you'll find out who everybody really is under a little bit of pressure, and uh, and and that will create some real tension in the environment. Any chance you get to mess with movement, mess with movement. Okay, Lizard Folk Render, there it is, I'm going to pass it back over to Adam and Dan. Another exciting one, I've been getting some good ones recently, uh, I'm good, and not, not, not a gnome in sight, thank goodness. I'll catch you guys later, find me on Instagram, VanCityTerry, I'm out. First off. Fuck you, Terry, for taking a dig at DC. You know who's childish? Y your mom, motherfucker. This isn't the first time you've called out Terry's mom. No, but uh, I, I'm, I'm mad at Terry for ripping on DC. <laughs> uh, well, hold on. Let's jump on the hot take that compassion is a weakness. What the fuck, Terry? Do you agree with him? Okay, look, it's a lizard folk episode, so I get where he's coming from on that. But compassion is a strength. Compassion makes us more human. Yeah. However, it also is a distraction, or it can be. Um, but I think that that is a... You know what? Take this to the subreddit. <laughs> Let's hear what you fucking robots out there have to say. You nerds in your basements. Do you believe... <laughs> do you God believe that compassion is, in fact, a weakness or a strength? And why or why not? I have thoughts. I'll take him to the subreddit. Okay, you do that. All right, so uh, anyways, let's look at, at the creature itself. This is another magically infused creature that gets a that gets beefed up by a ritual to a god. Samwanya giving divine favor to beef up a warrior is really fun. And this is one of the handful of times that I feel nature clerics would be a really good fit for a, a race in D&D. You could have a nature cleric lizard folk. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right? If you were going to play it as a playable race. Yes. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't think it makes a hell of a lot of sense for, like, not even furbolgs. They're druids. They're not nature clerics. But this time, we really get the god and the um, and the nature coming together. And I, I, I guess that's fair. I mean, it really depends on the god as well. Yeah. You don't often see druidic and cleric magic gel so nicely in D&D, but they do for lizard folk. Yes. Yeah. And this really is a great do. example of why druidic magic is considered divine. Yeah. Um, we've always had a bit of a uh, disagreement almost about the base nature of magic um, with the arcane and divine. Um, with previous editions, they really embrace those di uh, differences. 5e's a lot more muddy. 
in in the differentiating between them. Okay, let me say, you said before that they both fear and respect magic. Yeah. And then there's a lot of this shit. Renders and and shamans or shamans or whatever. Like, we're, we're getting some, right? Yeah. I think that they would revere and acknowledge and understand low-level divine magic, anything above a fourth-level slot, and any arcane magic is going to be weird and fearful for them. If you were to cast, let's say, Firebolt, that would freak them right the fuck out. Yeah, yeah. Right? They would not like that or understand it. And I think that would be enough to make them scatter. Even if they have overwhelming numbers. Or at least they'll focus on that spellcaster. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's going to put them on the back of their heels for sure. Right? I think that they're going to retreat, but they will be back in a greater numbers. And specifically targeting the one in the dress. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, let's move on to this Blood Frenzy ability. Again, that's advantage on melee attack rolls against any creature that doesn't have all its hit points. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, it, it's it's super flavorful, super... Uh, it feels like 4th Ed to me. It feels... Yeah, but this is one of the things about 4th Ed we have both said we liked. The this bloody minions, condition. Yeah, yeah, this and minions. We're good. Um, I'm going to put this on a sticky note and stick it inside of my DM screen right next to Pack Tactics, Aggressive uh, that the Orcs have, and Rampage that we see on all the Knolls. This is such a beautifully simple and super flavorful mechanic that I'm amazed we don't see this more often in monster stats. Yeah, I, another one I'm going to put up there is Reckless. Oh, yeah. Right, with the advantage trading, right? So, like, yeah. there are some basic um, traits, I guess, yeah. the, these features that that these mob creatures are going to get that I'm, like, I'm going to homebrew shit and I'm going to put this together and... Like, and, and as a DM who has seen a lot of monster stat blocks, and even if you are using your time during this COVID isolation window to kind of bone up on just some of the base mechanics of the game, looking at some of these really cool monster mechanics um, and removing them from their monsters and just having them there if you need to homebrew a monster on the fly. The DM screen, I've said this before, one of my favorite parts about it, has a... Uh, dice per challenge rating uh chart on it which gives you like if you're in a cr1 encounter and you're making up the monster stats as you go it's going to be like d8s or whatever it is right having this little bit of information at the front of your binder or or on your dm screen is incredibly useful for a dm and i would recommend it every time 10 out of 10 times yeah right yeah all right so i want to get into the rend the field attack okay this, I mean, Jesus Christ. Can I just take a second to point out, this is a CR3 creature. Yep. It has 10 foot reach on its claw attack, which yep. does 2d8 plus 3 at level 3. Yeah. And it's part of its multi-attack. Yeah. One of these guys is going to murder a player character. Yeah. Now, under, under CR for sure. If you are put in the middle of a party, and this thing is a killer. On a grid... It's large size, so that's two times two. With 10-foot reach in all directions, this creature is attacking 32 squares. This is a village killer in the middle of Tier 1. Yeah. That will kill all the NP... 2d3, or 2d8 plus 3 versus villagers with four hit points. Yep. And and the reach and the multi-attack and this thing with the blood frenzy. This thing is, is... Above and beyond. I, I feel like this is the thing that the lizard folk unleash when they're really just fucking done with your shit. Yeah. Yeah. 
anyways, um, we're going to move on to the one who would release it, the Lizard Folk Subchief. Now Kyle's going to cover it, and he is chilling out for some god-awful reason in the Tomb of Horrors. Thanks, guys. Kyle here, coming to you from the Tomb of Horrors on the Sword Coast. And today, we are talking about Lizard Folk Subchiefs. Spiritual leaders of the Lizard Folk, these bad boys are priests of Semuanya, a god dedicated to survival and propagation. Or, in layman's terms, living and fucking, my kind of deity. Uh, they are medium humanoid-based creatures that are generally neutral, uh, sitting at a CR of 3. They have 14 AC from their natural armor, 52 hit points, and 30 feet of both land and swimming speed. Their stats are slightly above average, with their highest being wisdom, uh, as priests do, you know. Uh, they've got a plus 5 to wisdom saving throws and are skilled in athletics, perception, and survival, uh, and can also speak draconic. Their only ability is that they can hold their breath for 15 minutes, which makes them great for both ambushes and running away. Uh, they are 5th level wisdom-based spellcasters that hold a very cleric-like spell list. And while they may not be much for melee fighters uh, with just a simple dagger, they do make up for that in other areas, such as their Jaws of Semuanya ability, where by calling upon their god for aid, they summon spectral jaws around a target they can see within 60 feet, forcing it to make a DC 13 dexterity saving throw. On a success, the target takes half damage, but on a fail, it takes 5d8 piercing damage and is frightened until the end of its next turn, meaning it can't move closer to the caster and has disadvantage on attacks and ability checks. Uh, that ability also has a 33% chance of being recharged every turn. Now, these guys can be used for enemies. Uh, I do think they would provide a good challenge to a low-level party. Now, if you're going that route, I'd probably use them as guerrilla fighters, you know, popping up in a swamp to ambush an unsuspecting party, dealing some damage and then running away, and harassing the party again later on. You know, when you really want to both scare and infuriate a party. Uh, they do have some decent attack spells in Sacred Flame, Guiding Bolt, Hold Person, Bestow Curse, and their Jaws of Semuania ability. But seeing as uh, how they worship a god whose main prerogative is survival and breeding, I see them as more of defensive fighters, who won't necessarily shy away from a fight, sure, but their main objective is the protection of their brood, not going out of their way to kill people. Almost a voice of reason more than anything else. Uh, probably a good enemy if you're going for an evil campaign, I think, uh, but considering the lizard folk rebuke of traditional good and bad morality, they have a lot of flexibility in the way you can play them. Uh, if you're going for a good campaign, I do see them being a good choice as a helpful NPC or a quest giver. They have some useful spells in Purify Food and Drink, Spare the Dying, and Lesser Restoration that you wouldn't really use on other NPCs and that would be particularly helpful in a survival campaign, especially if nobody in the party feels like playing a cleric. Uh, say maybe the party is lost in a swamp and needs a guide in exchange for getting rid of something that is attacking the subchief's tribe, or they need help rescuing someone important. I think they could be pretty fun to play as a DM uh, in terms of character interactions, especially playing the subchief as particularly devout. Um, but, you know, it's up to you. Anyways, folks, I gotta get back to my work figuring out the cause of death for all these adventurers. Good luck, and may Semuanya bless your family. Adam and Dan, back to you. I think that's the first time someone on the podcast has blessed me, and I don't know what to do with that, Daniel. I rescind it. Oh, well then. <laughs> Dear Kyle, you are fighting Dan from now on. Um, it's You haven't deserved 
to be blessed yet. Whoa, oh, you rescind my blessing? No, no, the, oh, the, the blessing no, Kyle has given you. you. Fuck off, dude. <laughs> you, that's cold. That is the worst thing you've ever said. Oh, uh, no, I've said worse. <laughs> and I cut them all from the podcast, so none of you have to hear it. Anyway, I, <laughs> did you notice this is the only one that doesn't get a traditional bite attack? That's weird. It isn't, it isn't. I don't think these guys are in melee. I, I don't think, I mean... They're doing their own weird magic thing over in the corner. Yeah. I feel like their jaws of atrophied. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah, I guess that tracks. I mean, they we've seen a Lizardfolk society that you don't really have a lot of... Uh, ca- there's no caste system. Everything is supposed to be the same. But then you have these guys who seem to be there just to summon the render. No, 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 no. to do other rituals. These are the priests. These yeah. are the priests that lead the... Look, we have this actually semi-rich religious history with with these guys. Yeah, we do. Right? And so they're going to have a priest. Yes, we got the druid, but they got to have the priest as well. So that's why these guys, I feel like they're the ones that are going to do the ritual for the renders, not the shamans. And I guess that really tracks too, because you can look at their spell list and see definite cleric overtones rather than druid overtones. Go go through it. Um, Well, I'll hit cantrips first. You get light. There you go. Which... I mean, yeah, sure. sure they they don't have dark vision. I'm surprised the shaman didn't have an answer to this other than produce flame. Yep. Right? Um, sacred flame. Yep. Spare the dying and thaumaturgy. Sure. Okay. All of those track for clerics. All of those track for the uh, sub chiefs. Um, at first level, they get four slots where they get command, guiding bolt, and weirdly purified food and drink. Well, I mean, they're in swamps and jungles, stagnant. Right. And yes, but they're lizard folk. Do they give a shit? Yeah, they do, man. You can still, if you eat tainted meat, you're going to get sick. I guess that tracks. I mean, they're not immune to poison or resistance to poison. Or necrotic, like yeah, rotten. I guess that's fine. At second level, they get three slots where they get hold person, lesser restoration, and silence, which I like. Yeah. Um, I view them not casting silence so much on the enemy, but on themselves to hide the ambush. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I like that. Right. Um, and then at third level... Well, not not on not on themselves as a caster, but on their forces. On their forces, yeah. Um, at third level, they get two slots, which um, will give them bestow curse and dispel magic. All right. I got a couple of questions on this. Sure. First and foremost, is it weird that we don't get a single healing spell out of either of the spellcasters? We get lesser restoration. We get spare the dying. We get purify food and drink. We don't get cure wounds. It's weird. I, I do find it weird, especially since they're so focused on survival. And I don't understand. I don't get why they would not have healing magic to aid in survival. Yep. Considering that they've got spellcasting abilities, it's a, it's a little strange as far as flavor goes. Lesser restoration makes some sense to me. Yep. Um, but not having cure wounds is a glaring omission when they get spare the dying. Spare the dying is the thing that makes me go, uh, really? Well, because we've seen so much lore that these guys don't give a shit. If you die, that you've just proven that you're too weak to exist. Why would they give a shit? No, but it, that that's not it. They're sitting there and they are focused on keeping the tribe strong. They don't give a shit once you are dead. Yeah, I guess that's true. But yeah. eight warriors are better than seven warriors. Get that guy back up. Yes, but Spare the Dying is just going to be a... It's a stabilized. Stabilized. Yeah, but, and then you rest for eight hours. I... 
that's why it's a glaring omission that Cure Wounds isn't here. Well, then. I mean, I, th- resting for eight hours is nature's way of regaining your hit points. Fine. I don't yeah, okay. like, I, I'm, tr- I'm trying to figure this out. The other one that's fucking weird is there's no remove curse. No, that's true. You have to bestow, but you can't remove it. Like, this is a one-way ticket to being cursed. <laughs> Do well, not piss off the lizard folk. They can't fix this. <laughs> Once they say, they're going to start you down that path and then you're in trouble. Yeah. Go yeah. figure it out. Find a hag, bitch. <laughs> All right. Um, do you agree with Kyle that these guys make um, better defensive NPCs um, and are likely to be helpful? Uh, as helpful as a lizard folk could get, I guess. Yeah, I mean, a lizard folk's never going to stick his neck on the on the line for someone who's not his ally. That's true, but once they ally with if you, if they are allies, then sure, that's the only way I see this going. Okay. Yeah. So Brad is a little too excited about the menu in the yawning portal. He's dealing with the only chaotic evil part, a lizard folk society, which is the occasional king or queen that might arise. Let's go to Brad. Hey guys, Brad here reporting in again from the Yawning Portal here in Waterdeep. Uh, apparently Wing Knight was a success last week, and Dernan's decided to continue on with the offers. So now we've got Mystery Meat Fridays. We don't know what it's going to be, it's whatever gets dragged in that day. Kind of like a catch of the day, but who knows what the Mystery of Meat will be. So if you're up for an adventure, come on in for Mystery Meat Fridays. So I've got something interesting to present to you today. We're talking about Lizard Folk and specifically the true leaders of the lizard folk. Um, occasionally, there will be lizard folk creature that is born in the image of Sesenek. This thing is more powerful, more cunning, more wise, more charismatic, basically better in every way than your average lizard folk. These things are pure evil and hatred as they are inspired by Sesenek themselves. These guys dominate the tribe. They rule over them with an iron fist. They don't let anything slide. And they basically can step in, toss a shaman aside who normally would lead a tribe of lizard folk. And what they can do is basically they inspire all the lizard folk around them. Because they are born in the image of Sesenek, they inspire this destructive desire, this aggression within the rest of the lizard folk within the tribe. These guys, like I said, they're better in every way than your average lizard folk. They, like all lizard folk, have the ability to hold their breath. Their AC is okay. Um, you're not going to have too hard of a time hitting these things. They're big. They're not difficult targets. They don't wear a lot of armor. They just have their natural armor from being lizard folk. But they've got a really beefy hit pool. Um, and like all lizard folk, they've got the swim speed and the natural speed of 30 feet. Uh, they have the ability to hold their breath for up to 15 minutes, like other lizard folk. They can make a multi-attack, one with their bite and one with their claws, or they tend to carry a trident as well. Alternatively, they can actually make two melee attacks with that trident. So their bite attack, they're going to have a plus 5 to hit and dealing 1d6 plus 3 piercing damage. They can attack with their claws, which again has a plus 5 to hit, dealing 1d4 plus 3 slashing damage. And then, like I said, they carry these tridents. It's their, kind of a symbol of ruling. Uh, and this, with this trident, they can be a melee attack or they can make a ranged attack with it. And it's going to be a plus 5 to hit, dealing 1d6 plus 3 piercing damage. Or, if they make a two-handed attack, it's 1d8 plus 3 piercing damage. Uh, the range on the thrown attack, if they choose to throw the trident, is 20 to 60 feet. Uh, that said, that may not sound like a lot, but they have an ability called Skewer. 
and once per turn when they make a melee attack, so not on the thrown attack, only on the melee attack, with its tri with that trident, if they hit, the target takes an additional 3d6 damage, and the king or the queen gain a temporary hit points equal to the amount of extra damage dealt, so that 3d6. So not don't include the original uh, damage, right? The 1d6 plus 3 from the original attack, but the additional 3d6 damage they will actually get as temporary hit points, and that's once per turn. So if they hit you even once with that trident, they're going to get beefier and they're going to do a lot of extra damage. These things are cool and scary. Uh, they're generally going to... It doesn't say this, but I mean, imagine if you're born in Sassanek's image, these things are going to stand a good head taller than any other of the lizard folk around. They're going to be bigger, they're going to be beefier, they're going to be an inspiring presence. They're going to be hard to miss on the battlefield. You're going to step into battle and you are going to know that this thing is here. Between the trident and the sheer size of this, and the way that I would run it, these things are going to be a serious presence on the battlefield. They're probably going to be surrounded, they're not going to be alone, they're going to have bodyguards, they're going to have other uh, lizard folk around them. And like I said, they inspire extra aggression, so anytime there may be a lizard folk who may be willing to step back, maybe negotiate, I mean these things aren't totally uh, brainless killing machines, but if there was any of that before, if the king or the queen is around, that is not going to be there. These things are going to go into just a violent aggression towards the party or any foe that they come across. I think these are a really flavorful way to spice up your lizard folk combats. Put one of these things in there, your players are going to think, oh yeah, maybe this thing's, you know, a little beefier, and then all of a sudden they're going to start taking attacks from this trident, and all of a sudden they're going to see the king or the queen become kind of reinvigorated from these attacks, and I think that's going to cause any party to kind of pause for a moment and say, hold on a second, we need to reevaluate how we're going to deal with this. You're probably going to just want to try and put as many attacks as you can into this king or the queen, but they're going to be protected by their tribe, right? They're not going to be standing alone on battle. You're not going to be able to get to them easily. They're going to be in the back. Actually, I don't know that they'll be in the back. They're going to be wanting to step into the fray, but they're going to be surrounded by their uh, subjects. They're not going to be facing the party on their own unless you find some sort of way to get them alone and even then there's probably gonna be some sort of bodyguard anyways let me know if you guys have seen these before i think they're really interesting i think there's a lot of flavor and a lot of opportunity to use these so if you want to uh, hit me up you can reach out to me at clueless game master on instagram or reach out on the subreddit put my name in the title that's the best way for me to see it or in a comment i'll get to them eventually but uh, i'm a little slow sometimes anyways thanks for checking in and we will talk to you later back to you adam and dan I feel like for a CR4, this guy, like what we've seen with other Lizard Folk, hits a bit hard. His AC 15 is met, but 12d8 plus 24 hit points, immunity to being frightened, with bonuses to constitution and wisdom saves, these guys pack a punch. Brad mentioned the skewer damage uh, that gets tacked onto one trident attack per turn, but it's really those temporary hit point recovery that makes these guys a pain in the ass. Yeah, you're going to fight this guy forever. Yeah, he's just going to refuse to go down. Just, just I mean, even, like, yes, you're right. AC 15 is whatever. But mm -hmm. at, at level four, that's okay. Yeah, I mean, your barbarian is still going to miss. Yeah, and so this guy's going to stay on his feet for a long, long, long time. And the thing that really gets me is the wis bonus to wisdom saves as well. When you get to a lot of these uh, fighter-y type mobs, they often make these mental stats the weaker part as something to kind of counteract their physical prowess. Yeah. Not with this guy. This guy will never 
other than maybe a charisma check, be charmed. Yeah. Right? Okay, so I'm looking at the trident thing where you get to regain these temporary hit points when you succeed on one of the attacks. As a dungeon master, do you decide ahead of time whether or not you're going to try to skewer? Or do you apply the additional damage after a successful hit? I would do it after the successful hit. I am going to say that he's going to try to skewer. And if he misses, he doesn't do it on the next attack in his multi. That's just me. I just think that physically speaking, that maneuver would be different. He'd be swinging that trident differently. Okay. I I see what you're saying. Um, Just like fighting style would mean that you'd have to... when When I'm a dungeon master, I don't roll to hit to see whether or not I hit before I declare what the attack is. I know what the attack is to see whether or not it hits. Okay, yeah. I and so I apply saying. the skewer to that as well. Um, yeah, but this is one of those situations where there are a lot of abilities that give the players the option to choose whether or not to activate it once the thing hits. I would keep that with this, right? It's just a it's just an example of the DM getting to use that once in a while and i'm okay with it yeah but this guy stays up for so damn long anyway that we're gonna see that ability a handful of times true but you want him to stay up so i'm okay with him sure okay the thing i do doubt is that these guys will ever throw their trident because tridents do get that range to them yeah um with all of the special shit around it i don't see why they would give up their favored weapon there's also no shield here so I would say they're exclusively doing two-handed attacks. Yeah, absolutely. They are straight up Aquamaning the shit. Yeah, but Aquaman uses the one hand for the like lunge and skewer. Well, that's the skewer, right? That makes sense. But yeah, but I want to continually be doing that one d eight damage, not the one d six. Was I'm going to keep it two handed? Yeah, yeah, fair, fair, fair. All right, so these guys get dark. Uh, of course they do, and they get the ability to speak abyssal because they're blessed by an evil god or demon prince. Demon prince, in this, yeah. In this case. How do you feel about that? Now, how do you feel about these guys that are like this one kind gets dark vision and the ability to speak abyssal? Yeah, it just goes with the blessing, I say. And to, do you do you think they hide in the dark? Do you think they rule from darkness? Then, well, I, are we going to get a different flavor of lizard folk society that is active at night with torches? Because I, I I think a lizard folk society that is run by a king or a queen is going to be. Far more, uh, um, they're going to move far more. They're going to be active far more. They're going to be far more active. That's the word I was looking for. Um, and in a very conquest kind of way, we see that uh, Sesenek is very, uh, he is the demon lord of civilization and dem- uh, domination. Yeah, but he right? also is, is xenophobic. He doesn't want, like, he's he xenophobic walks himself. Down. Yeah, but if there's ever going to be a, um, group of lizard folk that leave their territory. It's going to be ones helmed by this guy. You think so? I think he just locks down his borders. I don't. Uh, no, I don't think so because this is the one that would understand that. Um, expanding the territory means expanding our realm of uh the our our area with which we can live and hunt. Ex- expands the room we can grow the tribe to. The bigger the territory. The longer your border. The longer your border, the more enemies you run into. So you need a bigger tribe to counteract that. And that's what this guy's going to be pushing. Well, okay. So I I don't think, though, that he's going to be pushing this for the first seven or eight years of his reign then. No, no. Um, But he is going to be the one that, you're right, 
the night vi- uh, the night vision the the nighttime raids into border uh, villages and hamlets or something is going to be how this guy operates. If, if somebody is within his border, he knows about it and he will take them out. Yeah, I also think that you're right. He's gonna he's gonna clash against those that are on the outskirts of his territory, but I think that he's gonna burn that that little hamlet to the ground. Yeah, and then retreat back into his own territory. It's not that he wants to gain territory. He just doesn't want you near his territory. Exactly. So, um, also, I like the flavor as well that these other lizard folk will then follow him and get swayed to. Yeah. It, it's to, to it's kind of like the same level of stuff we see with lizard folk when they are dealing directly with dragons. You're going to get a little bit of the same flavor between the two of these. Okay, so one of the things that annoys me about 5th edition is that the flavor text doesn't always line up with the stats. Yeah, okay. Um, and like in previous editions, we would have seen their alignment is either true neutral slash chaotic evil, right? Because sometimes it would have been chaotic yeah, evil, yeah, or, yeah. right? So anyway, I'm annoyed with this specifically because all the inspiration and fervor that the flavor text discusses is totally ignored by the stat block. You don't, and this happens all of the fucking time. Yeah. Right? Where the they make a point of saying, these guys are big, important leaders, and they don't give you anything. These guys don't even get a boost to persuasion. It's just perception, stealth, and survival bonuses, as always. There's no deception. There's no insight. They're supposed to be leaders. Why aren't they leaders? I, I think it's because using a percept- or persuasion role versus PCs, and like using those social roles versus PCs. Intimidation, then. I would give them intimidation. I think intimidation is far more glaring, especially with these guys, than persuasion is. Um, well, no, yeah, these guys are vicious. But, I mean, yeah. they're persuading their own peoples, right? Yeah, but through fear, I would say. That evil tint is something alien to lizard folk. But they don't understand fear, right? Like that's, Well, they do. Un- they operate through fear. They just operate in a but it's the fear if slash then, respect. But it, it's, it's the if-then Persona, level right? of fear yeah right, right so uh, but isn't their level of fear it's not fear it's it's preservation yeah well this guy has the power and the ability to have them uh, preserve their their society and their lifestyle and their tribe so they will follow this guy because he's the most and i think it, it also goes to the whole um this guy is more than capable he is scary he's more than capable to take us down and uh hurt us and um he is scary in that regard, so we will follow him because that means he will not attack us. And I think that's a little bit more of the frame of mind when it comes. So it, it's not that he is actively intimidating. He just, because he's got this role, because he's got this blessing, the lizard folk society knows to fall in line. I just think that that's persuasion, not intimidation. It would be intimidation is threatening. I don't see him threatening. I'm just saying, I see him saying, I am the biggest, I am the best, you will follow me. Yeah. And the rest of them will fall in line because there has to be a pragmatic reason to do that. Yeah. We keep saying he, but it's king or queen, right? Yeah, it's either or. And so, um, so who, wh- whatever they're doing, I think that it comes from still a pragmatic viewpoint. It's just they themselves will have more chaotic evil tendencies than the others that they're leading. It's the same I, thing. I, we, we see lawful evil cultists. Following chaotic evil demon lords. True, but I think a little bit of the pragmatism is lost in this uh, blessing from... I uh, think so. Right? And and I, I would think, like, 
the general lizard folk idea would be like, well, we wouldn't do this move, but he is asking us to do it, so we should. I think it's more like she's telling us to do it, so we will, right? And it's just the persuasion. She is more powerful, and she hasn't let us wrong yet. She has been blessed by one of our gods. Therefore, we will follow her. Yes. Yeah. Right? And so there's no intimidation there. Yeah. Right? There's the initial persuasion of, yes, I am the most powerful. And and yes, she will be pragmatic, but it... it but her motivations of, are evil. Her motivations are evil. Like, she will do things... She will be a little bit more brutal than she needs to be on the battlefield. Yeah. I And only if it... If she knows she's going to get away with it. Yeah. Right? So the idea that it's the ends versus the means. The ends are more chaotic. Burn that village. Yeah. But the means to doing it are still, we're going to come in by the stealth of night. You three are going to go this way and we're going to have the shaman go in that way and so on and so forth. Like there's going to be an idea, um, a, a tactic, a plan that is going to be based on what their abilities are. When they can win, lizard folk will never bite off more than they can chew. No. Pardon the pun. Yeah. So anyway, speaking of biting off more than we can chew, <laughs> uh, this has been a long, crazy process of doing all of these mobs episodes. And whether it is Dave and Brad, Megan and Terry, which are on all the episodes, or the James, Kyle, Jeff, Peps, Nick, Nick Tyler, and more, because there's another one who's coming who we haven't we we haven't revealed yet, but. No matter who it is, we're we're thankful for all of you guys helping us on this because this is this is monstrous. Again, pardon the pun. Yeah, this is a huge undertaking, and nobody wants to sit here and listen to Dan and I break down a shit ton of stat blocks. So um, we're really, not even us, <laughs> especially not us. So thanks very much to everybody for for helping out and for um, tackling this massive project with us. Yeah, I just want to remind everybody that you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and r slash it's a mimic on reddit you can also reach out to us through our email at info at it's a mimic.com because we love hearing from you guys and any questions that you send to us will get added to our lists for upcoming mailbag episodes which we need more questions for so send us questions all right adam let's grab our dice let's talk about some tactics with what we've seen with the lizard folk so far got a seven i got a one all righty i just cannot roll dice these days no so what we see with these guys is the standard lizard folk. Let's use that lizard folk tribe size of 40. That seems to be good. That's a tribe without being a large. Right. Host. And a lot yeah. of these guys, I don't think would be a large host. I think once they get to a certain point, they would break off because the territory would be unsustainable um, with this many people. I agree with you 100%. Right. So. Um, if you have your tribe size of 40, uh, the only way it's going beyond that point, I would say, is if there is a king or queen in the mix. If there is not, you have one sub-chief, one, maybe two shaman. Well, the shaman apparently runs it. And the sub-chief is supposed to be the priest, the advisor. Yeah. Right. right? So so you would have the one shaman that runs it with the advisor sub-chief, which feels weird that a cleric is advising a druid, but it kind of makes sense. It for makes sense guys. for lizard yep. folk, right? Um, and in terms of combat for these guys, it is ambush tactics. It is hit and run. It is they will only attack if they know, or at least are primarily and uh, mostly certain they will win, right? They are going to have scouting parties and patrols. 
they are going to be able to um, see you coming and know that you're there before you know that they're there. Yeah, it is. It is the fellowship walking into uh, the woods of Lothlorien, right? Where they are hunted and you could hear the dwarfs breathing from a mile away. That is the level of awareness the lizard folk have to your presence within their territory. I'm really going to lean on a lot of the swamp and jungle things. The idea that suddenly all of the birds and the insects go quiet. Yep. Right. And they're always quiet around you. You're the interlopers. The lizard folk are not. Yeah. Right. I, I Look, if there's water nearby, they're attacking from the water. Mm-hmm. The, if you are coming up to their territory, they're attacking from the side of their territory. They're not going to let you in and attack from behind. No. They're going to be that force that stops you. And if they don't think they can take you, they will retreat and get more reinforcements so they can stop you. Exactly. Right. I, I do believe that these guys are going to retreat. This is not a fight to the death. If I'm running lizard folk, I'm going to run them to fall back at about a third hit points. If that. Right. Like if I would almost say if. If your barbarian scores a critical on the first round of combat and smokes one lizard folk for half health, that entire hunting party is fleeing. Yeah. Because you have displayed a strength that they were not prepared for you to display. I think that also you'll notice that we don't really have much in the way of ranged weapons. No, we really don't. So I'm going to say that if there's an arrow that comes from 240 feet away, that's going to shock them. They're not going to understand and they will flee. Mm Mm-hmm. That's something else that is going to just really bother them. I'm looking for these these omissions, these lacking things. If you are moving at night because everybody has dark vision, that's going to freak them out. They're not going to like that. You guys are are obviously displaying some sort of tactical advantage over them. And while they're not strategic geniuses, hobgoblins will be able to outthink these guys uh, oh, every single times. time. Yeah, yeah, right. So. Yeah. However, they're, they are going to be more pragmatic. They're not going to take the risk. And I think that they are going to, honestly, their civilization is going to be on the edge of the water because they're going to scoop up their eggs and retreat. They can hold their breath for 15 minutes. Yeah. Why would they hang out here on land? Yeah, that's, that's a fact that we haven't really brought up. This like insane ability to hold their breath forever. They're going to use that. Yeah. Now, D&D... Drowning mechanics suck. Are horseshit. And we've gone off at length about them, but I'm going to just state again. The rules are um, one minute plus uh, every minute um, for your con modifier. So yeah. um, if your con modifier is plus three, then you can hold your breath for four minutes. I don't like that in combat. I do that per rounds. Yeah. Which is going to... Because, I mean, honestly, if I'm getting in a fist fight underwater and I get smoked in the throat or the stomach or the head, I'm going to lose air. Yep. Right? And it's going to take a whole lot of exertion for me to fight. Also, because they have a swim speed, I would not give lizard folk the disadvantage to attacking underwater that you see with a lot of other things. Um, except for their very limited um, ranged attacks, which all get disadvantage underwater anyway. Well, even even uh, their club. Yes, it's a bludgeoning weapon. And yes, it should have disadvantage anyways uh, for swinging underwater because it's not that slashing or piercing, which get which don't get the disadvantage underwater. Yeah. But when you look at like that Maori Patu, which I, I, I called out earlier, it's a flat club specifically for the design to swing underwater. Yeah, when I, they have the Morning Star, for those ones, the, the scale shield, I wouldn't 
Like I would. Yeah, love yeah. The scale shield. For, yeah, hundred percent. But like, there's lizard folk will will retreat to open bodies of water because they know they have the advantage there. They're also the whatever um, shield bash they have will be less effective. Yep. Right. So there are definitely things to keep your eyes out for, but I think that they're going to try to drown their opponents. That's gonna. They're going to use their environment. I said Ewok earlier. Yeah. That tracks. That, yeah. That holds up. Well, let's move on to uh, seeing what it's like to be a player. Because in 5e, you can be a lizard folk. You could choose to um, be one of these races as a playable race. So when we look at it, they get plus two con and plus one wisdom. That All tracks right. the survival plus their awareness to the natural world around them. Wisdom is, tends to be that natural world stat. It makes sense. They're a little bit hardier than the average human, yeah. so I guess. They err towards neutrality. We've seen that through here, except for the kings and queens. So that tracks. Um, they get a swim speed base of 30 feet. Sure. Makes sense. Tracks. That's and not as damn really breaking like as, as flying. Yes. So I'm I'm okay with it. Yeah. Um, they get a natural bite attack, which does uh, 1d6 plus your strength modifier to attack. Yeah. And you're proficient with it. Which makes sense. Um, They also get the ability to be a cunning artisan, which as part of a short rest, you harvest items from a recently slain beast, construct, dragon, monstrosity, or plant creature of small or medium size, or sorry, small or larger size, to create an item, which could be a shield, a club, a javelin, a bunch of darts, or some needles. Blowgun needles. Blowgun needles. Like heroin needles. Yeah. Uh, to well, I mean, u- if you're a heroine, no, it's, it's different. Different kind of heroine. Um, to use this trait, you need a blade such as a dagger or appropriate artisan tools. Yeah, okay. But okay. I mean, it does have to be appropriate ones. You need leather workers tools to make armor and shit like that. Yeah, yeah so okay. I find this super flavorful and awesome. And um, so like impactful to the character. Like yeah. Every single short break, I'm like, okay, now that I've got the, now that we've got this moment, I will drop the corpse on the ground and I will start pulling ribs off because I need darts. You are one of these these downtime players, Dan. Yeah, that, I am. Yeah. That, I mean, don't go hog fucking wild if your party doesn't want that. Yes. Yeah. I mean, test the waters first. Um, I mean, you could hold your breath for 15 minutes, so test them at length. But test the waters uh, first, and then. If your party's receptive to it, man, and as a DM for this, if you could justify how you can make that item out of the body, I'll give it to you. Within reason. Within reason, right? Keeping in mind that you are primitive as this character. Yes. Um, now, you can hold your breath. Uh, a lizard folk uh, artificer would be weird. Well, it's the same thing as the cobalt artifice that everybody talks about, right? Like, it's, it's I guess the same that's true. thing. The cobalt yeah. inventor was really fun with the skunks and stuff. Yep, yep. That's kind of where I'm going to lean in that direction with the lizard folk artifice. Cool. Now, as we mentioned before, if you roll a lizard folk, you can hold your breath for 15 minutes. Sure. Yep. Um, I would not modify this based off your character's constitution. No, absolutely not. No, Give them the 15, 15 minutes. 15 minutes. You're never going to need more than that anyways. So 15 minutes. Or it's not enough by a damn sight. Yeah, it's exactly. one or right? the other. Uh, you also get an ability called Hunter's Lore. We're not done yet. They've still got more stuff. Hunter's Lore gives you the choice to choose two of the following skills to get proficiency in. Animal handling, nature, perception, stealth, or survival. There aren't a whole hell of a lot of uh, classes in the or races in the game that give you the ability to choose two additional proficiency slots. Yeah. It's like these guys and half-elves, oddly. 
I think there are a couple more, but yeah. like you're right, it's relatively rare, and you're really getting the flavor of a lizard folk just yeah. based on the skill list. And look at the skill list: nature, perception, stealth, survival. All of these are big roles. All of these are heavily off uh, are common roles. Yeah, nature, give or take. Nature, give or take. You also get natural armor. If you're not wearing armor, you get 13 plus your dex mod because you got scales and, and shit. Uh, shield stacks on top of this, but if you're wearing armor, use the armor or use whatever's better in terms of the AC. Do you allow this to stack with your monk shit with adding the wisdom? Yeah. Uh, I'd have to think about it because D&D is kind of weird with that. But Fifth edition is fucking strange. Yeah. Uh, yes, I would. Yes, I would. What about the con plus decks that a barb gets? Yes, I would. And that's true for, I forget which sorcerer it is. Mage armor as well has weird rules when it comes to this. Well, it, no. Is it a modifier or is it just Oh, uh, Mage for... armor gives you the same 13 plus blank. Yeah. Whereas shield gives you the modifier. Yeah. So. Not mage armor, but shield, yes. Not that you. Not mage armor, but shield, yes. Yeah. Um, and then. Almost finally, they get Hungry Jaws, which is when you throw yourself into a blood frenzy. As a bonus action, you make an, a special bite attack, and you get to heal your constitution modifier worth of hit points if you hit with that attack. Temporary hit points. But they're temporary, yes. Um, you can do this only once per rest. So either a short rest or a long rest, only once. And it's not like when you enter a frenzy, like that's just the flavor on this. Yeah. You don't have to go into a barbarian rage or anything. Yeah. So. Um, finally, you could speak, read, and write both common and draconic because you're a playable race. So it makes sense. Give it to you. You sure. get common. Which frustrates the hell out of me. I get it. I get it too, just for role playing sake, but ugh, fuck. Lizard folk are fucking powerful, man. Like they get they are. a They're, lot of shit. They are. Yeah. Especially when you look at the next closest analog from the player's handbook, which is handed a pile of horseshit as the dragonborn. Yeah, I actually look at the Yuan-Ti um, pure blood as yeah. actually being even more powerful than the lizard. Oh, 100%. But is is um, another one of these weird scaly... Um, I miss the days where there was uh, racial modifiers, almost. So um, if you chose a more powerful race to start your character at... Your character would start the game basically at level two, and then when the party leveled oh, up to not, level you're two, you're not talking about racial modifiers. What do they call it? Um, I'm forgetting the word. It was from 3.5. Yeah, uh, it was. It was called your ACL. Yeah, ACL was class level, uh, adjusted class level. That's what. Yeah, it was. right. I I miss that for when you get to these ones. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily say lizard folk get would have that. It's close, but it you want to pure blood would. Yep. All right, so for the DMG, I'm just going to go over those quickly. All right, so for the DMG, we get kind of the template that you put onto your NPCs. Yeah. Not that you're going to have a whole lot of mages and veterans and merchants, <laughs> but you may have some. Right? Bandit captain tracks, I guess. Well, even merchants to a degree might yeah. track, yeah. but but you end up going to uh, you're going to end up putting a plus two strength, minus two intelligence on it. Of course, you get the 15 minutes of holding your breath. Plus three to natural armor. Um, and this is the bonus to your AC. It's weird that you get the plus three natural armor bonus to AC, but in the um, actual class, it's the 13 plus your dex, right? Oh, and the racial bonus? Right. It is implied that this will stack with the with the NPC's AC. Yep. 
What the fuck's with the inconsistency, Watsy? Choose one. Just just pick one. There really needs to be a consistency to this, which this is because it's it's the fucking poorly thought out Dungeon Master's Guide giving us a table with these. I with think so, yeah. Yeah. So and uh of course you get to speak draconic on top of whatever your other shit is. Right? Sure. So all right, Adam, let's grab our dice. Let's talk about some uh one plot hook and one campaign with these guys, okay? Sure. Plot hook first. I got I was about to get a natural twenty, and then you knocked me to a fourteen and got a natural twenty you yourself. You piece of shit. I am unapologetic about it. And you rolled a natural one before, so I guess... Yeah, I, I've, I've, you're, you're an I'm at a ten, ten and a half. Yeah. So, um, all right. My plot hook for this, um, very, very simply, is going to be... You are going to be befriended by the lizard folk in a time of need. Yep. But they're going to be able to need something from you. So they're going to say, look, um, you've got a healer. We could use a healer. Come into town, heal a bunch of people. You like come into our settlement, yeah. heal. We will be your allies and provide um, NPCs, essentially some help, some plot hook, whatever help, and um, and that's it. They're just going to trade services with you, essentially. Okay. But then the next time you come back to here, you are not welcome, and they will stop and they will fight you. This is hostile, and that is because a king or queen took over. Hmm. And so the plot hook is going to be one of the lizard folk that you actually dealt with beforehand will come to you and say. We are on a path to destruction, and I can see that coming. Yeah. Please rid us of this evil monarch. I will get you into our territory. Hmm. That's really cool. I like that. I was going to do something similar. Um, Adam, I know it frustrates you how closely tied to dragon kind these guys are, but I... Not everyone with scales is a dragonborn. Yeah. Um, but in this respect, I would, especially a green dragon... Um, I would love to see your party hearing rumors of the green dragon in the area and sightings of it flying overhead. And the green dragon exists, yes, but it's a wormling and it has moved in and it is telling the dragon, uh, sorry, telling the lizard folk what to do. And they're all green scale dragon folk or green scale lizard folk. And all of these little like, skirmishes and stuff that are popping up in the woods where people are complaining about like the green dragon doing it it's just a bunch of lizard folk and your party has has to figure this all out and then eventually chase away the relatively weak wormling green dragon or young i might make him young i like that um a wormling is too weak they will just fucking eat a render will eat a wormling i'm not i don't necessarily think a render is at the camp at any given time Okay. Right, they 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 create a render with a ritual when they are going to war. Okay, right, that's fair. Yeah, but then after they win the war, the render's just hanging out in the corner. Um, there's no ritual to undo a render. Uh, yeah, I guess that's fair. I think the uh, know what the render could be the thing that eventually becomes blessed by uh, Sesenek and oh, becomes cool. a king. I like that too. All right, what do you got for campaign? Um, I'm gonna lean into the king and queen again. Okay. Um, but I'm going to kind of sit on the shoulders of what you were saying. There's a dragon that moves into town. Um, and it is, I'm going to go with the swamp. So it's a black dragon. Okay. And it is going to come up against a king or queen. And this is in the past. So your, your dragonborn are going, or your dragonborn. So this is in the past. So your lizard folk are going to be colored by this um, union of the two of them. And they will be following a half dragon template on top of the lizard folk king or queen as they procreate 
right? And so they're going to be a half dragon, a half black dragon, let's say queen, that has, it is now 30 years later. It's got a good prolific um, tribe of now like 90 of these lizard folk. Yikes. And it is waging war on the nearby settlements. Now is time to expand. And to get this dragon, this half dragon um, queen is now um, full of that cruelty, but also that need for treasure and loot and the lust for ruling. This is where I'm going to take my lizard folk from there. I really like that. Um, For my campaign, we have seen that lizard folk are ultimate pragmatists and we said that they will pick up items, they will pick up weapons, and they will pick up things that will benefit them in their fight. They also worship and fear magic. Um, And they will not necessarily take slaves, but they will take prisoners for uh, their um, rituals and stuff that they have to go through. I want to see a uh, spoiler warning for Curse of Strahd level stuff. Strahd! Um, There is an incredibly powerful wizard that has kind of lost his memory. That is wandering the landscape in Barovia. We kind of want to do the same thing, just with lizard folk in a swamp. Uh, no, I want to go jungle for this, just for the different uh, flavor. Um, and he is running the lizard folk tribe with his powerful magics. He's able to control them in a all-out war against a clutch of Yuan-T that are also in the jungle. And your party is having to play that three-pronged political intrigue system of dealing with neutral but violent lizard folk, deceitful yet evil Yuan-Ti, and a humanoid settlement that has been existing in these jungle lands for, you know, centuries, right? And now your party's playing this weird uh, trifecta political combat level campaign. Um, And I would throw things in there like other dragons or... A lot of this abyssal flavor with Sessinic and oh, the UNT are super abyssal and weird, and right? Shit too. So I there there would be some uh, forays into the abyss and the underdark involved in this as well. So that's that's the route I would go. Anything else you want to say about lizard folk before we wrap it up for the day? Um, I would use colorations to differentiate between different tribes. Oh yes, for sure. But I also don't think they're going to run into many different tribes in the same campaign. I would just use the different colorations to give flavor to my different campaigns over the years. If I wanted to use lizard folk in different ways, some would have brown skin with uh, red frills and others would be green with black frills. Yeah. Right. And I would, I would really try to add a unique kind of flavor. If you want some sort of inspiration on how to make their scales look different, Go to Volos and look in both the Cobalt and the UNT sections mm-hmm. for scale patterns and variations and whatnot. Anyways, that's all we could find in 5e on Lizard Folk. But we've got lots of other kinds of mobs to cover. Don't forget to come back next week when we take a look at UNT. We've been mentioning them all episode. We're gonna we're actually gonna hit them yeah. next. Over the next two episodes, actually. We're well, there's, there's a lot to go over. Yeah, yeah. Uh, far better covered than our lizard folk have been. Yeah. Anyways, that'll be it for this episode of the It's a Mimic podcast, guys. Thank you so much. If you'd like to support us, you can head over to www.itsamimic.com and hit our fancy donate button. Or tell your friends and the rest of your D&D party about us. 
We're available on iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube, as well as most other podcast apps. So see you next week and stay safe out there. Thank you for listening to another It's a Mimic production. Inquiries, shoutouts, requests, and mailbag questions can be sent to info at itsamimic.com. So a question for you, Adam and Dan. Of the main underdark races, who is best set to defend their home? And who is best set to offensively capture others? Okay, shall we roll? Sure. I got a 10. I got a 17. I'm assuming he's asking because he covered the freaking giant lizards, which have a big section in it about drow and who's thinking about that. Sure, yeah. Um, offensive. I, let's do offensive first and then defensive afterwards. Okay. Um, if I can be honest, it's going to be drow for me. right? For I, offensive? For offensive. Okay. All right, so follow me on this. There's Beholders and Aboleths, which are not societies, so I don't count them. Okay, I was going to go with Aboleth, but yeah, okay. All right, um, Fomorians as well, not a true society. Fomorians are more fey. Yeah, but they're still in the Underdark. That yeah, is, that's true. That's too. where they come from. Um, there's a Kuotoa, which aren't... No, no just no. Just, just fucking no. no. Spurf Neblin um, <laughs> and Darrow don't get enough of a fleshing out no. in 5th edition. Uh, so that, That's a short joke, I get it. There's not yeah. enough flesh. Um, Myconids are pretty stagnant. They're not doing a whole lot of attacking. No, they kind of just stay in one place and grow like a mold or a fungus. Um, they are pretty fun guys. But so that leaves us with what? Illithids, Duragar, and Drow. Of the three of them, I'm going to say that the offensive capabilities are going to, like, they're really going to stand out. The Drow, when you look at some of the crazy shit that they have for stat blocks... They go all the way up to CR20. That's true, but Illithids have laser pistols. No, they don't, Dan. Yeah, they do. No, they don't, Dan. I mean, they do. No, they don't, Dan. As of Icewind Dale, they do. It's an actual thing. In Icewind Dale, they have them. Not in the standard Underdark version of a Mind Flayer. And I will talk about Illithids in a second. (laughs) my, My answer is Drow. Just because they're going to be far more mobile and they've got the large numbers. Yeah. It, and they've got the slave trade. For me, with the drow, it is the numbers that does it. If it was a one-to-one straight across, Illithid are scary. And Oh, one, one mind flayer will take out a drow. Yeah. For the most part. There are some super fucking powerful drow. Yeah, but there's also some super... An Alhoon isn't... Not an Alhoon. What's it called? Yeah, it's an Alhoon. Yeah, Alhoon. That's the undead mind flayer. Yeah. Right? Like, I'm not sure that I count that in Mind Flayer Society, but sure, why not? Um, defense, man. I mean, you got to look at the Duragar. They're Duragar. They are cave dwarves. Yeah, but as a, as a society, they're, they're used to get, they get big and they get invisible and run away. Which is a great defensive Def- skill. Yeah, but they're not defending against their, like, they're not defending their, their fortress or their civilization. I got two words for you. Elder brain. Having everything be psychically oh, yeah, linked. Yeah, right? Yeah. It's the elithids for the defense. You are not getting into a mind flayer colony without everything in there knowing you're that you are walking there. I don't know. Critical Role Campaign 1. That was the first thing they did was fought an elder brain. Somehow. Well, nobody's perfect. Yeah, I guess that's true. So, yeah, um, for me, it's Drow and then Illithids, like Drow offense, Illithids uh, defense. Honestly, I'd agree with you. I mean, I really do like Aboleths, but I think they're undersupported. I really do like Beholders as well, but they're individualistic. They don't yeah. they don't play well with others. 
Um, as for the rest of Underdark Society, Mike and it's okay. They're really good. They get an honorable mention for defense because they got all that weird spore servant shit going on. Yeah, I mean, and then you start playing with Zugmatoy as well. But yeah, but and and, and wild card Kuatoa will just summon a god to wreck shit. And it'll so, be one that no one has ever heard of, except for literally all of the Kuatoa sitting there and <laughs> and then all of a sudden there's fucking a Kuatoa. There's a half squid, half toaster walking <laughs> around because they're fucking crazy ass fucking squid, the fish people. So fuck, ah, oh, goddamn! I can't wait till we talk about Kuatoa. Yeah, me neither. Now they can only cast spells when they're in their lizard fork. Uh, Lizard fork? Jeez. Fork and lizards. Sorry, I have to sneeze. (laughs) Also, use that somewhere. (laughs) Thank you for listening to an It's a Mimic production. (laughs) Okay, you're done. Get it.